going to kick off episode 374 of Monster Kid Radio with the song A Cosmic Nemesis. It is from the new album, The Secret Origin of an Unknown Planetary Destroyer, from the band King Kidora. King Ghidorah is a surf band based out of McMinnville, Oregon. This album just came out last month. It's awesome. Go check it out. The band's great. They've got some upcoming shows next month I'll tell you about at the end of the show when I play this song again. Welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your Monster Kid Radio host, producer, writer, and, and all that other stuff, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. This week, we are talking about a book. We're going to be talking with an author this week here on the show. He recently put out a book called Terror of the Lost Takasatsu Films. That just sounds awesome. The author's name is John LeMay. And John and I are going to talk about his book. We're going to talk about his background, his love for all things kaiju and tokusatsu, his writing background, some of the other things that he's up to. But most importantly, I want you to pay attention because while we're talking, some titles of some movies that, man, I so wish they would have happened are dropped. And if that doesn't get your brain moving, if that doesn't stir your imagination, man, some of these movies that could have been made in Japan, oh, boy they just sound bonkers and they sound amazing not that there's not good movies that came out of japan as it is i mean there's a lot of incredible films but something like and i'm just going to mention one of them right now frankenstein versus the human vapor man what i wouldn't do to see a movie called that anyway that's the conversation we're having with john it's a good time heads up when i was recording i was suffering uh, a minor head cold and at the time, I didn't think it was all that big of a deal. My wife told me that I probably ought to take something, and, and she's right, because if you listen, I sound a lot more nasally than normal. I understand that sometimes I have a nasally voice anyway, but yeah, this time I clearly have a cold. Sorry. On top of that, we've got another installment of Michael Dodd's Vault of Monster collectibles that's coming up later in the show and then of course we have some feedback i've got emails and voicemails that have been piling up over the past couple of weeks so we're going to be getting into that as well there is so much going on in this episode i'm excited to get to it so why don't we go ahead and do that right after this Beware the Astro Zombies. They mutilate, they torture, they kill. Spine-tingling horror, unspeakable shock, and breathless excitement will grip you as you watch living organs ripped from the bodies of voluptuous females as beating hearts and throbbing brains are transplanted to create the Astro Zombies. Cringe in terror, scream in fright as these skull-faced monsters strike blindly at living flesh and the motion picture screen flows in the blood-drenched wake of the Astro Zombies. The beautiful, voluptuous, deadly, vicious Satana, a woman who would stop at nothing to gain control over the Astro Zombies, whose creed was kill, kill, kill. John Carradine as the deranged scientist, Wendell Corey as the doctor who opposes him, match wits in this bloody, sadistic, terror-filled, suspense-laden horror film of brutal mutilations and senseless killings as the Astro Zombies go berserk and threaten a city with death. Watch it and you die a thousand deaths. The Astro Zombies in color, coming soon to your local theater. Dracula has risen from the grave. Boy, does he give a hickey. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. 
It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Monster Kid Radio listeners, I'd like to welcome to the show an author, a fan of films, somebody who I suspect likes the kind of movies that you and I like. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, John LeMay. Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am thrilled. I've been a fan of your work ever since I read your first book of the big book of Japanese giant monsters. But as I look at your bibliography, I see that you've got quite a few books and, and, and under your name, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. The reason we have you on the show this time around is I want to help promote and discuss and support the new book, Terror of the Lost tokusatsu films from the vials of the big book of japanese giant monster movies it just came out on kindle you can pick it up as a paperback it's available on amazon i snatched it right up and i've already started reading it this book's great oh thank you it is a follow-up to the first book i you know it's, it's kind of billed as maybe a sequel kind of sort of but it's really i don't know it's more than that it's not just about giant monsters what is your fascination with these movies i just grew up watching them as a kid you know, I, I grew up in the era of VHS, which I think was like the like the perfect time to grow up because it was before the internet. So you still had some mystery, you know, like you would walk into Suncoast Video and you really didn't know what you would find. Like I didn't know who Gamera the Flying Turtle was until I saw that VHS. Because again, not a lot of books out on Japanese monsters back then, you know, outside of the Ian Thorne Godzilla book. So Going into the Funko's video or the VHS store was always like an adventure because you didn't know what you'd find. So that was a, definitely a fun part of it for me growing up. You know, I've talked a little bit about this here on the show in the past with other people as well. You know, we, we're lucky now. We have access to the internet. We have access to the world when it comes to so many of these movies. If I want a series of Ultraman that came out in the mid-90s, I can just hop on over to Amazon.com. Japan, I guess, and uh, or whatever the Japanese URL is for it. And if I could translate the site and navigate it, I can order it and get it here within a few weeks. But because I used to work at a Suncoast, I used to go to the Suncoast and and or at a Blockbuster Video or things like that and, and see, you know, what's out there and just be surprised because the internet wasn't a thing; it wasn't a tool. So we're kind of lucky now, but. And for a long time, you'd see these movies, and, and you have somebody who wrote the acknowledgement in your book talking about this as well, where they'd go to the store and see what's on the shelf, and hey, these videos look the same, but they got different titles. Oh, wait a minute, you know, they're, they're, they're the same movie, just released under different uh, titles and years and labels and that sort of thing. I got to ask, how many copies of the same movie do you have in your collection because of that? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, probably Godzilla versus the Sea Monster was the one I'd always buy a copy of, and that's because... 
I didn't realize that they would take publicity stills and these scenes didn't take place in the movie. So I always thought there would be a lost cut of a uh, sea monster where Godzilla does the helicopter spin with Ebera, you know, cause you, you always see that publicity still. And I thought, okay, it's going to be in this one. So I'll buy it just in case. And it would never be in there. I know growing up, there was always the talk about, well, there's that separate cut of King Kong versus Godzilla where King Kong wins versus Godzilla. But the kind of books that you've got here, the kind of research, I mean, you deep dive into this stuff. Obviously, the King Kong versus Godzilla thing, that's all kind of a myth, something that Forrest Ackerman may have promoted a little bit in Famous Monsters of Filmland. But you really deep dive into books, I'm sorry, into movies and series that Man, unless you're in the know, I I don't know how you came up with this stuff. I th- some of these titles sound amazing, uh, the movies and the TV series and such that never happened. But maybe at one point there was a script or uh, a plot or a synopsis or a pitch or, or something. How do you find this material through the internet and through the technology of of today? Back in the old days, if you had a book from Japan, there was just no way to read it. But with today's technology, you can actually just scan the page. And uh, there's there's something called uh, OCR, which means it'll it'll recognize the text from the image, and it will rip that off the page, so you can like cut and paste it and run it through Google Translate, and you get a really bad rough translation, but it's good enough that you can figure out what's going on. You know, you get the the gist of the information, and so that's basically how I did it. That's brilliant. I wouldn't have even thought of that. I've got a handful of books that I've ordered from Japan just because I love the artwork and the layout, but I can't read them because I don't speak or read Japanese despite my love of these kaiju movies. I've got a couple of Ultraman books here. I have no idea what they're saying, but the pictures are nice. (laughs) I didn't even think about that, about scanning them in. for. That's brilliant, man. Yeah, and also the other thing that people don't realize, too, is uh, today's website. If you go to a Japanese website, now you can have that translated into English with just the push of a button. And you can read that as well. So that's another good source or just these Japanese websites. So the earlier book that came out last year, the big book of Japanese giant monster movies, The Lost Films, it focuses more on the kaiju movies. The book that's out now is more about uh, tokusatsu, which isn't necessarily all kaiju films, but it's more just special effects movies is basically what that means in Japan. Am I right? Is that the translation, basically? Yes, correct. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't even have to mean like a sci-fi movie either. You know, Tokusatsu could even be one of the old Toho War movies that used uh, miniatures and things like that. And I don't cover those in this book because I don't think people would find them of interest. But that's, you know, something else that you could consider Tokusatsu. You mentioned that a couple of times throughout the book. And, and while you you spend more time on the genre films, you do mention that a little bit, that there are some special effects movies out there that, that may not be considered you know, the monster movies or the sci-fi movies, but you still kind of dance around it. So there's still, it's still in there. It, it's a com- as complete a tome as you're going to get, I feel like, here in America for this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, Bur- Bur- I don't know how you say it, Baruba, which is like the Japanese Tarzan, you know, it wasn't really a sci-fi either, but I felt like, you know, it was interesting because there was this uh, die version of Tarzan and, you know, it did technically have special effects scenes. So it was a little bit of a, a stretch to include in the book, but it was just something that I, I felt like fans would find of interest still. You've got so many movies in here, even movies that are actually out that I've never even heard of, let alone movies that never really made their way to the screen or the set or production. I've never seen Submersion of Japan. I know I need to, 
But you mentioned pretty early in the book that there was a version of Submersion of Japan released here in the States with Lorne Green cut into it. That's right, called Tidal Wave. And, and you can really consider it a lot of film because I can't find it. I can't find it for sale on eBay. I don't see it on YouTube. I've, I've seen Submersion of Japan through Topo's DVDs, but I've never seen the American Tidal Wave. So, you know, technically you could call that a lost film right now. I'd love to see that. So, listeners, if anybody knows how to get their hands on it, I want to see Lauren Green in a Tokusatsu yeah, movie. Come <laughs> on. Hook a brother up, man. Some of these titles, I'm just kind of scanning through the book right now. Some of them that came out, some that never came out. Why do you think that when it comes to Tokusatsu movies or, or special effects movies, for the most part, we only think of the giant monsters, but there's so much more. Why don't we think more of the Matongos or the H-Man, so that sort of thing? What is it that keeps us as Americans, as an American audience or, or European audience, not really knowing as much about these as we would say, like, say, the kaiju films? Gosh, I, I, you know, I don't know, but I have to confess I'm guilty, too, that I'm really only interested in the giant monster films when it comes to watching them. I, I definitely enjoyed researching like the history of the H-Man and the human vapor, but I have to confess that I don't really just love watching them. You know what I mean? That they're movies that I probably won't watch more than two or three times throughout my life. Whereas certain Godzilla movies I might watch once a year sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'll put in a Kaiju movie. Uh, even if I'm flipping through channels on the off chance, one of them's showing on one of the TV stations or, or channels here, even though I know I have it on DVD mm -hmm. or Blu-ray, I'll still stop and watch it when El Rey Network does their Kaiju live uh, fourth marathons. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, I, I know I own them. I know I have them in better quality with, than what El Rey's showing, but I'll still stop and watch yeah. it. So I totally get that. I have found myself kind of drifting towards some of the more uh, non-giant-sized monsters lately when it comes to like Toho's output. We talked about the H-Man earlier this year with uh, some people here on the show, and I just fell in love with that. I adored it. What are some of the tokusatsu films that are out there that you wish more people talked about? One that I discovered, um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was going to be a chore to watch. I thought it'd be really bored and just be waiting for it to be over, but I really enjoyed it. It's called uh, Woman Vampire by Shinto from uh, 1959. Woman Vampire. That's right, yeah. It's basically just Shinto's answer to Hammer's War of Dracula, which would have come out in Japan in 1958. It was very successful there. It even included... Uh, extra footage that wasn't available in Great Britain or America. It was some gorier footage. So I think Shinto probably wanted to do their take on the vampire movie. And so if you like Toho's Bloodthirsty trilogy from the 1970s, which was really hammer-like, you know, Shinto's woman vampire is in black and white. So it's almost more like a, a universal horror film done in Japan, and it's very odd and weird. And, you know, the, the vampire wears a cape with sunglasses and... Um, it's just a really fun, entertaining little movie. Okay, I, I've never heard of this movie. Uh, <laughs> it sounds amazing. I just got my hands on that Bloodthirsty trilogy that came out on Blu-ray. Haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but but I have heard it described as like Hammer meets you know Japanese monster movie that sort of thing. Sign me up for a Universal take. I, I'm on board, man. I think I know what I'm going to do as soon as we're done recording today. <laughs> that sounds amazing. In fact, I've got all sorts of time open to myself today. Maybe I'll watch that, and then I'll pop in my Bloodthirsty trilogy and just have a Japanese vampire marathon. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, Worst things to do with my time, probably, right? Yeah. I'm looking at your bibliography, the books that you have available, and, and I see 
that while you've got the Japanese monster movies here, you've got a handful of other topics here that are also near and dear to my heart. I want to talk a little bit about your writing background and that sort of thing. But first, John, there's something that we do here on Monster Kid Radio that I wanted to make sure we had an opportunity to do with you. We have a game that we play with our guests. It's a game that we have here called the Classic Five. Basically, what I've got here is a deck of cards. Each one of these cards has a this or that, yes or no style question. There are no wrong answers, and they're all about classic monster movies. I I know I call it a game. It's more of a conversation starter. John, are you up for playing around with the Classic Five? I would love to. Right on, let me give it one more shuffle here. All right, so we've got some hammer questions, we've got some kaiju questions, we've got some universal questions, just kind of all over the place. Here we go, card number one, what movie do you, oh, okay, card number one. John, what classic monster movie would you like to see as an animated remake? Hmm, okay, of all the, hmm, I'll go with Mothra, because the Shiro Honda once said that he, Oh, were you going to give me choices, or was I supposed to just? Come oh no, up? no, no! That's it, man. No, no. But you, you, you know the rules. You got it. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Yeah, Shiro Hanna once said that he would like to see an animated remake of Mothra, and I think that would probably suit that fantasy, you know, feel of the movie rather well. I like it. All right, cool. That's the right answer. All right, card number two. <laughs> what movie do you prefer, Universal's Tarantula or Universal's The Deadly Mantis? Boy, I haven't seen either of those since I was a little kid. I would say the Tarantula movie, though, because I'm from New Mexico, and I recognize that desert scenery and that on-location filming that they probably did in, I think, Arizona or somewhere, so I'd say the Tarantula. But what if circumstances were to magnify one of them in size and strength? Took it out of its primitive world and turned it loose in ours. Then expect something that's fiercer, more cruel and deadly than anything that ever walked the earth. Even science was stunned. The new atomic miracle should have been mankind's greatest boon. Instead, when such power to cause phenomenal growth proved dangerously unstable, man was confronted with his most shocking blunder. The isotope triggered our nutrient into a nightmare. A blunder that transformed a tiny insect into the hundred-foot spider that was now ravaging the panic-stricken countryside. We've got John Agar. It's hard to go around with John Agar films. So, there you go. We've got a hammer question here on the uh, hammer card. What is your favorite hammer vampire film not featuring Peter Cushing? Oh, because I was going to say Dracula AD 1972. That's oh, I love that one. movie, though. But yeah, oh. oh, okay, so it can have Christopher Lee, just not Peter Cushing. Right. Gosh, I really love a lot of his Draculas. Um, probably Dracula Has Risen from the Grave or Taste the Blood of Dracula. Either one of those uh, I really, really enjoy. Uh, on both of those, I think is really great, the scores. James Bernard was a master. That music is just so beautiful. So amazing. Well, uh, knowing that you're a Hammer fan, I think you and I are going to be great friends. Where are we here? On uh, Let's see, was that question number yeah. three? All right, question number four. Oh, here's another Hammer card. Which of the three movies do you prefer? The Vampire Lovers, Lust for a Vampire, or Twins of Evil? I've only seen The Vampire Lovers, so I have to go with that one. Come with us if you dare into a twilight world of unspeakable horror. You must die. Everybody must die. Sample, if you dare, 
the deadly passion of the vampire lovers. <laughs> the vampire lovers. Perverted creatures of the night find their victims everywhere. The unsuspecting merrymakers in glittering ballrooms with their young and tender throats. The sleeping beauties whose troubled dreams turn into real terrifying nightmares. It was a cat! A huge cat! For God's sake, save her! their evil hearts are still for all eternity. If one remains, yes, even one, there will be thousands more. Beware. Beware the cold caress, the kiss that kills. Beware the vampire lovers. If I can make a strong recommendation, Twins of Evil has one of the best Peter Cushing Hammer performances ever. So if I can give you some homework, man, okay. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. All right. Card number five. Finally, what is your favorite flying kaiju? Oh, gosh. Uh, probably Rodan. I just, uh, even over Mothra, I just like Rodan for some reason. He's more ornery, I guess. Mothra's, you know, a do-gooder, and he's, you know, a little more ornery. So I'll, I'll go with Rodan. I've had people answer Rodan to that question before, but never because he's a little more ornery. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was the Classic Five. How do you feel, John? Oh, I enjoyed it very much. Right on. Well, thanks for playing. So I, I want to go back to your books. Um, I show that you've got a handful of books here. It looks like, uh, let's see, you've been kind of dancing around doing writing here since, what, 2009, or at least publishing since 2009 or so, is that right? Yeah, that's correct, 2008. Okay, okay. What came first, the the desire to write or the love of tokusatsu? Oh, I loved uh, tokusatsu when I was a little boy, you know, and I probably wanted to start writing around the same time, too, so I wouldn't know, but I'd say probably the the Japanese monster movies came first. And I want listeners to know that while you've got a handful of books about tokusatsu, giant monster movies, that sort of thing, you also have a book that came out earlier this year about another one of my absolute favorite subgenres that we don't talk about here on the show because it's not really too relevant, but it's my show. I make the rules. Deadly Spaghetti, the goodest, the baddest, and the ugliest Italian westerns ever made. I love me a good spaghetti western, so as soon as I saw that, I've also picked that up and read that and enjoyed the heck out of it. Oh, thank you. I mean, I have the utmost respect for spaghetti westerns, the good ones, but you buy those bargain bin packs at Walmart that have like 20 of them, 
and most of them are awful, you know, they're just, and they take themselves so seriously. They're just right for the picking when it comes to making fun of them, you know? So that's, that's why, you know, I really just make fun of a lot of those movies in that book. Well, and you know, it's another one of those subgenres too, like, like a lot of the kaiju films, they get released under different titles uh, from different labels with different artwork and different promotional materials, but they end up being the same movie. So you run into that again here too. And yeah, you know, you said you make fun of these movies and, and I, I don't know if that's, I'm going to disagree with you, sir. I, I don't think you're necessarily making fun of them. I, I think you're having fun with them. So okay, yeah, I, that. I, does that make sense? Sure. I, I never really got the impression that you're disrespecting these movies, you know, and I, and I just, I hope listeners don't think that that's what we're saying. I, I think you have fun with the movies. And Well, the, the ironic thing, though, is I take the Japanese giant monster movies 100% serious. They've never made me laugh. You know what I mean? <laughs> A lot of people, you know, they talk about laughing at them. They've never made me laugh, um, unless it was on purpose. You know, I got the monster Congress scene in Ghidra, you know, that was meant to be kind of funny, or, or the volleyball scenes and Sea Monster, those were meant oh, to be boy. funny. So, you know, but they've never made me laugh. Uh, you know, I take them completely serious. Um, it's just, I think the spaghetti westerns, though, they take themselves so seriously. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder how much of that is lost in translation, too, you know, given that these were produced, you know, in a different culture and that sort of thing. And maybe they just didn't translate as well coming over here. Yeah, and I, I wish so bad that, that Hammer, Hammer would have teamed up with an Italian studio and did some sort of uh, vampire western because that would have been really cool. And they were both, you know, uh, popular at the same time. They were bloody at the same time. So I, I really wish that would have happened. Man, you know, you're, you're preaching to the choir. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> I love me a good horror western. You know, weird westerns. Sign me up for something like that in a minute. Oh, man. And speaking of Hammer teaming up with somebody, at one point, you know, to get back to what you t- talk about in your books, Hammer and Toho might have collaborated on something. That's right. And what really pains me is uh, the Nessie script, which is, you know, their collaboration was going to be Nessie, which is perfect because it's basically a British giant monster movie. I know that script is out there somewhere in English where I could read it, but I just can't find it. You know, and I, I still to this day haven't found uh, a Nessie script. And someone did send me um, uh, John Sayles' Nessie script, which is very close to that. I think it's called Nessie Sea Dragon of Loch Ness. So if you've seen that, that's not Hammer's Nessie, but it was written around the same time. And I think it gets confused for Hammer's uh, Nessie script quite often. About the Loch Ness monster, Nessie would have been a collaboration between the two studios, which... Man, I want to believe that there's an alternate reality somewhere where that actually happened. Yeah. Man, and, and if we could get there just to watch it, just once. Just once. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been amazing. I was familiar with Nessie a little bit through some of my own Hammer research. Cause, you know, I also co-produce a Hammer Films podcast, and you know, I've got the, you know, the unmade Hammer collections talking about the different versions of movies that they didn't didn't make or scripts or posters that got created or that were created but never really produced. So I knew about yeah. Nessie, but I didn't realize that it was going to be a, a that Toho was going to be overly involved with it. So how amazing would that have been? Yeah, and Nessie actually killed uh, one of the movies, one of the scripts that I talk about in Terror of the Lost Tokusatsu films, which is Invisible Man versus the Human Torch. It was pretty close to getting made. 
And um, I think the trouble with Nessie kept delaying that film, and eventually that film just went to the wayside and died. And it's a really great script, and I wish it had been completed. See, even the titles <laughs> of some of these movies. Uh, you mentioned that one. You mentioned uh, Frankenstein versus the Human Vapor. Yeah. Sign me up. These sound great. Yeah, and how Frankenstein versus the Human Vapor came about was, um, so Brinko Pictures had just bought The Last War of Gorth and The Human Vapor. I think I'm late 1962 and uh, they were, they were working on all of them for release. And apparently the people at Brinko really liked the human vapor and they requested, or they suggested to Toho, you know, you should do a sequel to this because we really like it. And a future writer of Star Trek, his name was John Meredith Lucas. He's the one who supposedly came up with this idea that, okay, why don't we just have the human vapor fight Frankenstein and, it's a good script. It's interesting, but it kind of undermines the really uh, great ending of The Human Vapor, which is like a, a classic Shiro Honda suicide or actually a, a double suicide of the, the two main characters. So the only real flaw with Frankenstein versus The Human Vapor is that it, that it totally just ruins the ending of the original film. Would still have been awesome to see. Well, and see, I, I, th- I feel like your listeners, uh, am I correct, that they kind of lean more towards maybe the universal horror films, is, would that be correct? Well, you know, we're kind of all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, when I pitch the show to people, I call it the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema is what we look at. So, okay. you know, we go from the silence, the universal, healthy dose of hammer, typically start to fade out around 1968 or so, just because mm. that's when Night of the Living Dead came out and the horror industry kind of changed a little yeah. bit. But even then, we still go into the 70s and such. And I've said repeatedly, kaiju films and Hamner films will always have a home here on MKR, okay. just because it's my show. And those yeah. are things that I love. So th- there it is. Uh, just last month, we did a month of nothing but luchador monster movies. So we're all over the place. Yeah, those are something I've never actually watched before. I've always been curious, but I just haven't ever taken the time. Well, I happen to know a podcast that just did five weeks of... <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll oh, nothing but these movies. Yeah. Oh, they're they're such a treat, man. Such such a you know, Santo versus the Blob and things like that. It's just a, a blast. Totally different vibe though than what you get with some of these uh, Japanese monster movies. Although I keep telling people I'd love to see a luchador and kaiju movie happen. I don't know how. I don't know what the scenario is, but put those two things together, and I think we'd have like the perfect movie. I wish somebody at G Fest they do those. Uh those short films at G-Fest, I wish somebody would do that there. That would be cool. That'd be amazing. Speaking of G-Fest, I'm assuming you are a regular attendee. I only went for the first time last year, and I've always wanted to go. Oh, wow. You know, my dad and I used to have a business that we really couldn't escape from, and we sold it a couple years ago, so I was finally free from work so so I could get away. And I can't imagine that I'll ever not go back to G-Fest now. I, like, I have to go back every year because the people are so awesome and just the, the event is so awesome. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be there this year. Yeah, I've never been. I've always wanted to go. I, I have a feeling, though, that as soon as I do go, I'll, I'll be like that. I'll always be going back, always be going back. I'm friends with Kyle Yount from the Kaiju cast, so I always hear about it. And Boy, it sounds amazing. When yeah. you went, did you just go as a, a fan or given your books and such, do you ever do presentations there? I did. It was a little overwhelming. I mean, I've done talks before, um, but I do talks here in my hometown of Roswell. And, you know, usually you get maybe 80 people maximum. So I'd never actually done a talk for like, I think there were like 300 or 400 people in the room at g that wanted to hear about 
these uh, Lost Godzilla movies, so that was a little daunting at first, and then it got to be really fun as the uh, the talk progressed. And so yeah, I, I presented, and I just went as a fan both. Nice. And then what's what's the reception when you start dropping titles or, or mentioning scripts that never made it? What's the reception to something like that? Is there a an excitement or or more of a sadness as these movies never happened? <laughs> I'd say mostly excitement, and then I was surprised at how many people just really, really laughed when I explained Batman versus Godzilla. That there was a lot of laughter on that one for sure. <laughs> okay, you've got to tell us about Batman versus Godzilla. You got <laughs> well, it's got a really confusing history. I don't know if it was Toho's idea or the American TV show producers that was their idea, but I know the scripts or the treatment that I got was from. Uh, the William Dozier papers from a university, I forget which university now, but they actually have the Batman versus Godzilla treatment, which was uh, meant for Adam West. And it was written in that same style. You know, in fact, even if you're not a Godzilla fan and you're just a, a Batman fan of the Adam West series, you would really enjoy this script because Batman has like a, a big jumbo jet that he flies to Japan in. He and Robin have robot doubles of themselves so that way they can be both Batman and Bruce Wayne at the same time and people, you know, won't notice. So it's full of really interesting stuff um, if you're just a fan of the Batman show. But I'm glad it wasn't made because it really wouldn't have uh, fit in with the Godzilla continuity of the time. It was meant to take place in the the Shawa Godzilla series because uh, it mentions King Kong versus Godzilla and it was going to show footage from that to kind of establish that this is the same world. But you know, Godzilla by this point was a hero, and in Batman meets Godzilla, you know, he's he's the villain. And at the end of the movie, it's basically like Gamera. Batman knocks Godzilla unconscious, and then uh, the people of Japan build a rocket around Godzilla and shoot him off into space. So I'm I'm actually happy it wasn't made because I think it would have just totally ruined the continuity and and derailed the momentum of the series, in my opinion. Huh. So this is what's confusing. There's there's one that they say is written by Shinichi Sekizawa, um, and I've never found that version, but the version that I saw was definitely written by an American who had knowledge of the TV series. You know, it had to be... It, there's no writer listed on it, but it had to have been from a writer on the Adam West series because it's too much like the series, in my opinion, to have been written by Sekizawa. Huh. I mean, I, I love my Godzilla movies. I love the Showa era, and I, I know you're saying it would be outside of the continuity, but I'd still love to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just for the absurdity of it, it sounds like. This book seems to be primarily written by you. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I always like to get my, my friends involved and have them write you know, a little something. Uh, but I mean, predominantly, yeah, I'm the main writer, and then I'm really fortunate to have the chief and features editor, Ted Johnson. He edited He'll add in some information that he knows. So The previous book seems to be more, uh, a lot of you, but also a lot of our contributed essays uh, from like Mark Aramillo, Stan Hyde, people like that. Yeah, they're all very nice. A lot of them I hadn't actually met in person. I just talked to them on Facebook and asked them if they'd be interested in uh, contributing something, and they were. So really nice guys that I finally got to meet in person at G-Fest. So given what these books are about, and I, I have to admit that as much as I love these movies, the kaiju films, the tokusatsu films, and I'm a huge Ultraman fan, my experience with these movies is not very deep. I, I actually didn't sit down to watch a kaiju film from start to finish until a few years back. 
yeah, which I'm embarrassed to say. I mean, I always knew what Godzilla was. I always knew what Gamera was and Mothra and all them. So, I mean, I, I had a passing knowledge. I'd read about them and I, I knew about them. Yeah, I, I saw Kyle at a screening of King Kong versus Godzilla here in town where he introduced it. And that was the first time that I had watched a movie from start to finish. And I was hooked. And since then, I made up for last time since then. I've watched all the uh, Godzilla movies, all the Gamera films. And, you know, I'm, I'm now deep diving myself trying to find some of the more obscure stuff out there. Uh-huh. What are some other, so we've talked about the vampire or the woman vampire, the vampire woman. Are there any giant monster movies that you wish had more exposure over here in the States? There's a few giant monster movies that don't have like a lot of exposure. And technically, actually, this is a TV miniseries, but it's called Aegon the Atomic Dragon. Um, you know, that, that's oh. something that fans I think could really enjoy. Um, so there's there's a lot of them that were actually released here in the U.S., but they never had a VHS release. Therefore, they've never had a DVD release, and it just kind of disappeared. But like the cartoon, for instance, uh, The Little Prince and the Eight-Headed Dragon, I think is really good. The Whale God by Dai, I'm really surprised hasn't gotten some sort of Criterion uh, DVD here in the States, but you can find it uh, there, you know, in Japanese and subtitles. A uh, really great movie. Not really a traditional uh, Japanese giant monster movie. It's more like a Japanese version of uh, Moby Dick, but very good movie. Um, I think people would enjoy that. You can find some really odd things on Amazon Prime. So I'm a big fan of Super Robot Red Baron. Uh, have you heard of that? I've heard of it. I don't know if I've seen it. Is it a movie or a series? It's a series, but they did that thing. Uh, you know, a lot of those series, they would take them and they would edit them into a feature-length film. And uh, they did it, and it's called uh, The Iron Superman. And it took uh, episodes from that one of the... Uh, there were actually several Super Robot Red Baron series. I think there were like three of them. And uh, this took from the one that I hadn't seen. And it edited it into a brand new movie, and that's available for free again on Amazon Prime. Very rare movie, should be a lost film, and yet here it is on Amazon Prime. So you just never know what you're going to find. Fascinating. Yeah, I think when people think about these types of movies, they, they immediately, or TV series, they go to Toho or Subaraya, because Subaraya had the Ultraman, and then the whole lawsuit thing with Super Raya and, and, mm-hmm. and all of that. It's a totally different conversation. So glad it's kind of turned out in the favor of the good guys there. And maybe listeners, I'll talk about that sometime down the line. But, I mean, there's so many TV shows, so many movies out there from not Toho, from not Super Raya. Mm-hmm. There's so much out there. And, and and we are getting more and more of it over here with Crunchyroll playing so much uh, Ultraman. And then uh, Amazon's got the, uh, the one specific note, uh, I guess, do they call it network or a channel over there on amazon with all that stuff on there that you can see yeah uh there's just so much out there that's so good you know i haven't really had anybody on the show that's really into this stuff the way that well you are so i hope you don't mind if i pick your brain a little bit more i've never seen this do i need to see s-b-e-s-p-y it sounds awesome i love it i mean to me okay if you're a big fan of the 1970s godzilla movies it's really a trip because Okay, so the 70s Godzilla movies, their budgets got cut. They were, they were low budget. But Espy, um, or, or Esupai, I guess, in Japan. Um, okay, yeah, big, I, I was probably mispronouncing yeah. it, so yeah, go <laughs> Well, I think it's Espy in America, and then in Japan it's Esupai, you know. But I mean, we're, we're American. We might as well just say Espy. So that had a huge budget, and it was also, like, I think the second biggest hit in Japan of 1974. Um, so it's directed by Jun Fukuda, who also directed. 
that year's Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. It's got some of the same actors in it. It's got um, the villain from Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Um, he's in it. Um, okay. Goro Musumi, I think is his name. You know, so he basically got those same actors in kind of a, a bigger budget action movie. Um, same production crew. It's just a fun little addendum. If you like those movies, you know, I, I would definitely recommend that you check it out. It looks like it's uh, like there's a group of people, government agents, that sort of thing, kind of looking into supernatural, weird kind of threats, maybe a little Ultra Q-like is kind of the vibe that I'm getting. Yeah, exactly. And the reason I was able to include it in the book, because it is called The Lost Tokusatsu Films, is it was on VHS in the 90s, but it's never been upgraded to DVD. So you really can't find it anymore. And it also um, started out kind of as a lost film because Toho originally wanted to film East by in 1967. And part of that was the big craze behind James Bond and You Only Live Twice. And in fact, uh, Akiko Wakabayashi and Mai Hama, who were the Bond girls in that film, were supposed to be in East by. And partly why Toho didn't produce it in 1967 is uh, Akiko Wakabayashi left the studio. And so they lost their, their big actress that they wanted for the movie. And they ended up shelving it until 1974. It's something that I've heard the music from, and I, I've always enjoyed that government agency looking into supernatural stuff kind of movies and, and stories, uh, that sort of thing. And, and it looks like it's got a real heavy 70s vibe. So I, I guess I'm going to have to track it down and watch it somehow. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it sounds awesome. Man, I mean, we could probably sit here and just talk for hours about all this stuff, and I could just gently pick your brain about these things. Because, again, this is a field that I don't know as much about as, say, like the Universals or the Hammers. If you had to recommend somebody watch, say, like two or three movies of this type, just to kind of good feel for what's out there, what would you recommend? Okay, so, like, we're talking non-giant monster Japanese special effects. Sure. Subversion of Japan is definitely my favorite. I think it's a really great disaster movie. It's very well done. Great Prophecies of Nostradamus, um, which is a band film. Oh, man, really great movie. Um, if you can find the uncut version, that's a really great one. Did you just say it was a band film? Yeah, um, it's actually literally banned. Oh. Toho banned it because it, it depicts this future. Uh, they, they flash forward to the future at the end of the movie, and it shows these grotesque uh, human beings that are mutated by radiation. Actual atomic bomb survivors, you know, naturally took offense to, to how they were portrayed. And uh, Toho got a lot of complaints about the movie, and that's why it was only released to theaters. And it's never actually had a VHS or DVD release, so it's it's a banned um, lost film. Oh. Yeah. Well, I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it, it's a good one, though. Really great. It's like the king of disaster movies because it has every disaster you can imagine in that movie. It's got like nuclear annihilation, it's got earthquakes, it's got zombies. It's really, really crazy. And it actually somehow works without it becoming silly. So it's actually a very depressing film. It's really just, I mean, if you can find it, watch it. Then I would watch probably one of Toho's uh, mutant films, which could be The Human Vapor, The H Man, and Matango, any of those. And then lastly, I'd probably pick some of the Bloodthirsty trilogy, just any of those, just because, again, if you like Hammer vampire movies, I want to see a Japanese take on that, you know? Um, that's basically what you get. The most Hammer-like of all three is probably the last one, which is Evil of Dracula. 
that one is the one where they just went full hammer and totally embraced it and quit trying to stray away from that. Have you watched the Blu-rays yet? I haven't watched the Blu-rays, but I have I have seen the original Japanese versions of all three. And because I've seen the Japanese versions, I would actually really like to see the the English dubbed versions because I hear in one of them they give uh, the vampire like a European accent. So I'd really like to, to see what that's about. I haven't watched it yet myself. Like I said, I have it here on blue, but, uh, you know, I definitely, you know, I have some time today. Like I said, I'll probably watch it at least one of them because I got to make room for this woman vampire movie you were talking about. I got to get my hands on that too. Yeah, I definitely check that out. <laughs> See, that's the thing that I love about books like yours, but then I also kind of, you know, raise my fist because these titles sound great. Yeah. Now, how can I watch them? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and again, you know, the whole the reason I was drawn to this book and the last one is just the ideas of these books that woulda, coulda, shoulda, the movies that never really got anywhere. Titles like, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the Frankenstein versus this or Fearful Attack of the Flying Saucer. It sounds amazing. A, a Japanese monster movie or Tokusatsu movie called Deathquake? That would have been great to see. You know, that, that makes me raise my fist even more because, man, not only can I not see it, I just cannot see it because it never happened. Okay, now Deathquake did happen, just just so nobody... Oh, did it? it. Yeah, okay. that, that one was released in 1980. It was actually aired on um, American television, but again, there's no VHS release that I know of. There's no DVD release in America, so the um, only way you can find it is basically through a bootleg. What is Deathquake about? Because the title sounds great. Basically, yeah, it's just your, it's just Earthquake. You know, it's Japanese version of Earthquake, you know, where... Um, Tokyo is destroyed in a big earthquake, so it, it's just like your American uh, disaster movies, but set in Japan. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, I want to see this thing. <laughs> you briefly talk about uh, in the book another one of my loves, kind of, sort of, in a roundabout way. I love my Planet of the Apes movies. Now, Japan kind of, sort of, did something with Planet of the Apes, right? That's right. Those movies were very popular in Japan. Just like with Horror of Dracula, uh, 1958 had extra footage. The Japanese actually got a bloodier cut of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes that we recently got to see on Blu-ray. They finally put that out. But um, again, yeah, the Japanese loved Planet of the Apes. And so Sakio Komatsu, who had written Submersion of Japan, he wrote a television series, which was basically the Japanese equivalent called uh, Monkey Army. And that ran for like, I don't remember how many episodes, maybe 26 episodes by Super Riot. And then in the 1980s, uh, Sandy Frank got a hold of it, and they, they cobbled it together into actually one of the better compilation movies, and that's called Time of the Apes. And if you, you actually can, if you look on eBay, probably find an old VHS of that that you can buy. I've seen that floating around various gray market sites and, and other sites <laughs> i've seen it floating around yeah. but i've never pulled the trigger and bought it myself because my understanding is that because it was in japan it's japanese and it was never released here so there's no subtitles is that right so time of the apes is dubbed into english and it's i would okay well yeah. sandy frank yeah yeah okay. I, I think actually i mean usually those compilation movies are bad because they just take two episodes and slap them together but they actually took a little time and a little care on this one they edit the first episode some of the middle episodes and the final episode. So you basically get to see that whole series condensed into about 90 something minutes. And it's for what it is. I would actually say it's pretty good. 
like I said, I've got a love for Planet of the Apes. Uh, I love those movies so much. And uh, if I, I've always wanted more Apes action. It sounds like this is something else I need to add to my to-watch list. Well, and it even, likewise, it's not just the concept of uh, an ape society. It also has that same type of depressing, kind of shocking ending with a twist. So oh, there's that too. Well, no spoilers, man. I probably already spoiled it because now your your hopes are up really high, and you're going to see that twist, and you're going to be like, "Wow, that really wasn't that big of a twist." But still, it it does have that little depressing ending. So. It's not like Planet of the Apes didn't telegraph its big twist ending by putting it all over the original movie poster. So I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for you? Is there another Japanese? Tokusatsu book in the works? Is there uh, something else dealing with uh, more of your hometown area? Because you've got some Westerns here in your, your collection as well, at least Western history books in your bibliography. What's coming up next for you? I do have a, a Western biography on a, a, which really doesn't fit the scope of this show, but it, yeah, I mean, that should come out in the future. It's just a, a, a biography on a man who wrote the first book on Billy the Kid, and that I don't know when that'll come out, but it's done, and it's at a publisher, and they're looking at it. But uh, as far as uh, monsters go, um, I'm turning my attention to the unmade King Kong movies, which there are actually quite a few. So wow. That should be the next one, is the American and the Japanese unmade uh, King Kong project. And also, I've got another book called uh, Writing Japanese Monsters. Not writing, but writing. Um, it, it's all about the development process and how they wrote these movies and how each movie would change as, as they, they wrote it. And it'll have um, biographies on like Shinichi Sekizawa and just the, the different men and women who wrote those movies. Um, well, that's that sounds fascinating. Um, that that sounds amazing. <laughs> you said something about uh, this Billy the Kid uh, biographer book that you've got it with a publisher right now. I, am I misunderstanding, or because I thought uh, the Takasatsu books, at least, you've kind of independently published. Is that right? Yeah. So my history books, I I usually always have actual publishers for. Okay. Okay. And I find with history, yeah, history that works better because history books sell in museums. Usually. That's where someone's going to see it, and they're going to they're going to buy it. Whereas on Amazon, people are browsing around uh, not as much. But uh, when I find those people on Amazon, they definitely browse for film topics because those sell really well, okay. and that's why I self-publish those. I really don't need a publisher for those. Gotcha. You know, they sell well enough without their promotion. So okay, and that way you get a higher royalty as well. Well, <laughs> yeah, I would imagine the pay structure is slightly different. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. I, mean, I love the idea of this uh, Billy the Kid book. I, I, please keep me posted on that. Cause I, I know you've got a book out there about Billy the Kid, Tall Tales and Half-Truths of Billy the Kid. And uh, that's another one of those topics that I love that, again, has nothing to do with MKR, but you know the Old West and uh, the outlaws and the true stories behind all that. So I, I, I haven't read it yet, but it sounds like I need to to get ready for this other oh. book you've got in the works. Thank you. I appreciate that. We can always meet in the middle and talk about Billy the Kid versus Dracula. I was about to mention that. What do you think of it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I've been meaning to watch it, and I still haven't, <gasps> but I've, I've always wanted to. Someday I will. You've never seen it? No, it's it's on my to-do list, and I just never get around to it. So the normal structure here on Monster Kid Radio, I mean, every once in a while I'll bring somebody in who's like an author or a filmmaker or, or somebody who's doing a project, but most of the time we have somebody on the show to just talk about a movie. 
It sounds like, John, we just might have found a movie for us to talk about on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. I'm, I'm totally down. Assuming um, you like the movie. If you don't like the movie, maybe we'll just kind of forget this conversation ever happened. But if you like the movie, let's have you back. <laughs> Hey, absolutely. Or maybe that would be more interesting if I didn't like it and you did and we can go back and forth and hey. maybe find some common ground. Well, if you've got time in your writing schedule, why don't we make that happen sometime this year? What do you think? I'll, I tell you what, I, I will make an effort to watch that uh, this October Ooh. and then I'll get back with you and let you know. Right on. That sounds like a plan, John. I love it. In the meantime, though, I'm going to keep myself busy with all of your books, uh, the, the monster books and the non-monster books. I'm a fan of your writing. I'm a fan of what you're doing, John. Uh, thanks for doing it and putting this material out. And thanks for being on Monster Kid Radio this time. This was a lot of fun. Well, thanks for doing your your show as well. So that that helps uh, authors like me promote. So I sure appreciate it, and it just keep, helps keep fandom alive. So thank you for for what you do as well. All right, so I want to make sure there is a link to John Lemay's Amazon page over on well Amazon, where you can check out all of his books. They're available as Kindle editions. They're available as actual print editions. A number of them are relevant to what we like here on Monster Kid Radio, the tokusatsu films, the giant monster movies, that sort of thing. He's also got a few other things. Like I said, that Spaghetti Western book is in there, as well as some other more local history and folklore-ish type books, given where he's from. New Mexico, and there's a lot to cover. So go check out his books and let him know that you heard about him here on Monster Kid Radio. John, thanks for being part of the show this week. I really enjoyed it. considerably larger, about ten times the size of this gorilla's skull. Being instinctive rivals, there's no doubt that they will attempt to destroy one another. King Kong versus Godzilla, heading for their colossal collision, shattering every obstacle that stands between them in the most fantastic rampage of annihilation ever recorded on film. See King Kong stamp Tokyo into the ground, holding a beautiful girl in his grasp. See Godzilla destroy an entire army. See King Kong trapped by the blazing barrier of a billion volts. But nothing, nobody can stop the great showdown when King Kong and Godzilla meet to fight for survival of the fittest.
been copies, there have been imitators, but no one, no thing, can take the place of Dracula. And now he's back. Dracula, A.D. 1972. Along with Dracula, you'll see a macabre game of murder and madness called Crescendo. For lovers of the occult, Dracula, A.D. 1972. For lovers of the macabre, Crescendo. Both from Warner Brothers, rated PG. Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans? Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horror Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. Michael Dahl's Vault of Monster Collectibles. Vern Langdon Zombie Mask and Related Merchandise, 1972 to Present Vern Langdon was the creative force behind much of what Monster Kids loved in the 1960s and 70s. He was a musician, composer, singer, songwriter, actor, record producer, pro wrestler, writer, makeup artist, and mask maker. He was important to the creation of the coveted Dawn Post calendar masks in the 60s, and he created slash produced many of the LPs that Monster Kids listened to back in the day, including An Evening with Boris Karloff and Friends. After leaving Dawn Post Studios, he created some of his own masks in the 70s, including his most famous one, the Vern Langdon Zombie. One of the zombie masks was featured on the cover of the creepy 1972 annual and caused quite a stir among monster fans. He made a run of 22 zombie masks, that's it? And they were sold through ads and worn mags over the next couple years. Of that original run of 22, only two or possibly three are known to survive. And of those, only one that is in original unrestored condition. There have been copies and recasts over the years, and in 2002, there was an authorized reissue with Vern's input and approval by Kelly Mann. This reissue by Mann was limited to 30 copies and the mold destroyed. It came with a certificate of authenticity. Prices on the VLZ masks range from expensive to extremely so. The owner of the only known unrestored original estimates it's worth around 30000 the authorized Kelly Mann reissues from 2002, of which there are only 30 in existence, 
are very difficult to put a fair market value on with no sales data available, but a very broad ballpark figure would probably be in the $500 to $1,500 range. I've heard this range mentioned by other collectors, but as I stated, there's no data of sales because owners are loath to give theirs up for mere money. The other various copies and recasts seem to sell in the $200 to $500 range. It should be noted that even the more common copies are a bit hard to find for sale, so an extensive hunt and wait would probably be in order if you wanted any sort of Vern Langdon zombie mask to grace your display. I'm not a big mask guy, but I have a few in my monster collection. My favorite by far is the Kelly Mann VLZ reissue that I ordered from an ad in Scary Monsters magazine in February of 2003. I believe it was $140, which was a lot of money for me to pay for a mask at the time. But since I left the original 30 years earlier on the cover of that creepy annual, I went ahead and ordered one. I received number 15 of 30. It turned out to really pay off for me because I've loved looking at it for 15 years, and the mask shows no degradation at all. I keep it displayed in an unlikely way, on my Sideshow Frankenstein poser figure. It's a little weird, and I know hardcore mask guys are probably rolling their eyes, but I like the look of it on the poser. Something exciting that I've discovered of late is a website of the world of Vern Langdon. VernLangdon.com. Here you can learn about Vern and buy some really great merch with a fine homage to the work of the late great master. Available are CDs of his classic monster albums, three different versions of the killer Vern Langdon zombie action figure, t-shirts, pinback buttons, and many other cool items. Some of the coolest items aren't even listed on the website currently. VLZ Tiki mug and swizzle sticks, stickers, and a bottle opener. Just send an email to sales at vernlangdon.com to get the scoop on prices and availability and request a PayPal invoice to purchase the goods. These are high quality items that most monster fans would freak out over. And no, I'm not paid to do this. I just think the stuff is so incredibly cool that monster fans should know about it. Check them out and get in on the VLZ fun. Thanks to Richard Grifford for his help with information for this episode. Picks this week include one of the classic ads for the original VLZ mask from the back cover of Warren Mags in the early 70s, a pic of my Kelly Mann mask reissue on my poser, and the shot of my other VLZ merch, including my creepy 1972 annual action figure number 13 with wooden box, tiki mug and swizzle sticks, bottle opener, some of my pinbacks, stickers, and music for zombies CD. Next week, we cover horror monsters grab bags from the 60s. For a nickel, you got two monster figures, another toy, Sourlet's candy, and a cool little envelope with graphics screaming that monster kid goodness. Yep, those were the days. Monster ever onward, boils and ghouls. prophetic than his prediction of space travel in Things to Come. More imaginative than his laser beams in War of the Worlds. More frightening than his warning of nuclear holocaust in The Time Machine. 
From H.G. Wells, history's most credible prophet, now comes his most incredible story, Empire of the Ants. A terrifying tale of civilization fighting for survival against armies of giant ants, ten feet tall, who control the human population by drugging them into submission. And man, the master, becomes man, the slave. Joan Collins, Robert Lansing, H.G. Wells, Empire of the Ants, from American International Pictures. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Empire of the Ants. They shall inherit the earth sooner than you think. Look at those trees. How lovely they look reflected in the sunlight. Barnabas, I love to be with you. You have a way of looking at things. As if they were completely new to you. You've never seen them before. Some people live in boxes all their lives. You know, I feel I'm beginning a whole new life. And you're responsible for that life. I can't tell you how exciting it is to be with you. Barnabas Collins, vampire, takes a bride in a bizarre act of unnatural love. <coughs> House of Dark Shadows from MGM. Come see how the vampires... GP, all ages, parental guidance. It could be true, you know. There could actually be a man named Barnabas Collins, and he could actually be a real vampire. <laughs> House of Dark Shadows from MGM. See how the vampires do it. GP, all ages, parental guidance. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? <laughs> People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but... There are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. Huh, that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show? Oh, we'll do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Now, the only reason I didn't go to Weird Wednesday this week is because I'm getting ready for Monster Bash. Monster Bash is happening next week, and oh, boy... Uh, I, I'm excited, but then I've also shared with a few of you that I'm close with that uh, I'm also very, very nervous. I've got a lot of anxiety this time around. We are, are trying real hard to make sure we actually have decks of the Classic 5 available for sale at Monster Bash, as I'm going to have a table there. I'm going to be right there next to registration or across the way or something. I'm not exactly sure what the layout's going to be, but I'm going to be right there. You're going to be 
hard pressed to not see me. And I want to have the Classic 5 cards available for sale, as well as an opportunity for people to play the Classic 5 with us. I think that would be a lot of fun. I do have some new cards. I'll have a Monster Bash exclusive expansion deck as well as the Universal Expansion deck and the Hammer Expansion deck with me. There are some new questions that people have not heard on the show before, as well as some old favorites. So that's going to be coming uh, on Monster Bash. Also, we have got some really cool merch coming from some friends of Monster Kid Radio. Tracy Morris, one half of the high muckety mucks over at Disney Indiana, is bringing her We Belong stuffed, stuffed figures, and they're awesome. You have to check those out. Plus, Dominique Lamsey's the author that's been on the show a few times and is going to be on the show again. She is going to be representing her House of Silent Graves, which is her Etsy shop. She's going to have some exclusive merchandise at Monster Batch as well. It's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to the event. I'm also hoping to have uh, something that I'm calling the Monster Puzzlers, which is a little booklet that we'll be selling for a couple of bucks. And it's nothing but word puzzles, all monster themed. And that's going to be fun. Uh, Mark Bailey is actually helping me put that together. Mark Bailey is, of course, the man behind the New York City giant monster attack map, which you can find over at foxtrotstudios.net. Oh, and as an aside, Mark Bailey, he is presenting at Bad Film Agogo at Eternal Con this upcoming weekend. He's going to be presenting on January 15th and January 16th. Eternal Con is happening in Brooklyn, New York. So if you're in the area, drop by and give them some monster kid support anyway as far as monster bash goes i'm stoked i am so excited about it. man it is the place to be and i know the minute i get to the hotel heck i know the minute i get off the plane i'm, I'm gonna be okay it, it, it's gone all that anxiety all that worry about making sure everything's ready and perfect is gone i am now here with my people and i know i know I'm probably making a bigger deal of it in my head than it needs to be, but I just want it to be perfect, and I want to be able to record as much as I possibly can at Monster Bash, capture as much as I can of that event, and share it with you guys and gals here on MKR. So you can expect some Monster Bash coverage on Monster Kid Radio later this summer. Hi, Derek. This is Steve Turk calling. I just want to say I've been enjoying your um, Mexican Monster Movie Month. It's been um, eye-opening to me because I usually I've never really seen any of these films, so it has me wanting to add more things to my list. The other reason I was calling is, as you know now, the Monster Movie poll is over, and I sent you the tallied-up results of the top 100 monster movies and the also the top 20 Vincent Price films of all time. And I just wanted to say it was really fun going over the um, poll results and um, tallying up all the votes. We had 271 different movies receive votes. And um, to me, the top 100, or especially the top 10, have a few surprises in there that I wasn't expecting to get to see get that many votes or in that particular order. Um, of course, listeners will have to wait to either that, hear it unveiled at the Monster Bash or when you do it in the future podcast after the bash. The only thing I felt sad about is that a lot of people didn't realize, it seems, that it had to be a movie from 1967 or earlier, and we received a whole lot of votes for movies that were 1968 or later, which did not count at all in the poll. 
I even had a vote for a movie that was currently out this year. So um, I feel sorry for those voters. Those movies work. Great movies. I mean, I just it's just that in the parameters of the poll, we were trying to keep it in the uh, earlier years. Uh, maybe down the road we'll do a poll to include movies after that. I don't know. We'll see how it all plays out in the future. But, Derek, I hope you have fun seeing the results, and I can't wait till we get to share it to everybody else. Have a great day. This is Stephen Turk saying goodbye. So that was Steve. Best podcasting ever, where Brenda <laughs> and I just stare at each other. Who's Welcome got to the feedback this? segment. Who's got this? <laughs> who's on first? It's like we've been, who's on first? I love you so much. <laughs> oh, I love you so much. I love you. Um, Steve Turk. Uh, Steve Turk, who is going to be at Monster Bash, I cannot wait to catch up with him and his family. He's bringing a son, Ben, who mm-hmm. just graduated high school. So shout out to Ben and uh, the rest of his clan. I can't remember. I'm sorry, bad friend. I can't remember who else you're bringing, but I know you're bringing more than just Ben, and I can't wait to meet him. Uh, uh, the the Monster Poll was a lot of fun. I have the results. I'm not going to share them with you because we are going to mm-hmm. announce them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We are going to announce them at Monster Bash. And uh, I believe the way we're going to do it is throughout the course of the day through the event, we'll be kind of doing like here's numbers 80 through 100 and then 60 through 80 and then so on. Are there going to be enough people there that are interested? Maybe. Maybe I shouldn't ask because you've already clearly decided. (laughs) Wait, are you doing it at your table? Yes. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. Then people can hang out if they want. Yep. Yep, it'll be fun. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I appreciate Steve kind of uh, taking the lead on that and and making that happen. So thank you, Mr. Turek. Mm. What do you think about the fact that there were many movies outside of the time parameters? Um, I think I'm going to chalk that up to just us not being as clear as we Mm. needed to be when we were putting the poll together. Not that. Maybe you need to widen your scope a little bit. You know, and and he said something there. And, and, you know, maybe maybe down the line we'll do something a little differently. But uh, for this particular poll, we wanted a very specific uh, sample size or parameters, like he said. So maybe down the line. We'll see. All right. Why don't we do an email? Oh, okay. You want to do an email or do you want to do something else? I don't know. You're in charge of the show, man. Yeah, but you're the boss. (laughs) I'm going to mute for a second. I have a bit of a cold that I caught before I went to Juno and yeah. just can't seem to fight off. But I appreciate you being here. I know we didn't have you last time and it's been a little difficult. So It has what? It's been difficult. Just Not- finding time to make you oh comfortable to be on the show and everything. That's okay. I was just recovering and stuff dealing with grandma stuff. Who is doing better, yes, by the way. So much better. I went to Juno, assuming I was going there for a funeral and going to say goodbye. And um, our doctor, oddly enough, was very pro letting my grandmother go. There was nothing in writing, but my grandma had verbally said no extraordinary measures. But when my sister and I got there, we kind of had a different impression of what extraordinary measures are. And I don't think a nasal feeding tube is an extraordinary measure. She's breathing on her own. Uh, When we said we were there and that we loved her, she said, love you. And the doctor said, no, that's just an automatic response. So the day they were going to take off all of her supplementary care, um, 
we decided it couldn't hurt anything and I asked her to pay attention and that it was very important that she respond if possible and I explained what was going on and if we removed supportive care, her body was going to die. And did she want us to remove care? And she said, nah, and shook her head no. And I asked, do you want to fight? And she said, uh-huh. And so when the doctor came in, we kind of had to convince her that we didn't want to give up. And I told my grandma she needed to make this clear to the doctors. Um, so rest until the doctor comes in. And so the doctor leaned over and said, all right, we're not giving up on you. And my grandma said, you better not. <laughs> my grandma actually said that. And still, the next day when we came in, the doctor had chosen to shut off her IV. And we don't quite understand why, but now my grandma is feeding herself. She can pivot on one leg from the bed to the wheelchair. She can talk. She actually has some use of her left arm and potentially some use of her left leg. So we went from this doctor being very set and sort of convincing everybody in the room to let my grandma go to my grandma being able to do almost everything she needs to do to step down in level of care. Which is pretty amazing. I, amazing. I, I mentioned this last week um, for anybody who's just now joining us. Mm. <laughs> um, Brenda's grandmother had a pretty massive stroke and her family's all up in Alaska. So yes, yeah, so she had yeah. a massive stroke and wasn't found for a day between one day and two days, right. which means you're outside of the golden hour or even the three hour timeline. Right. So it's pretty amazing, and uh, I'm I'm glad. Yeah. Um, pretty, ama I'm frustrated that the doctor seemed so pushy. Yes, just kind of hearing it from you and and all, it just seems really odd. Well, it but got to the point because I was asking some questions that first night, and the next day we were going to be removing care, and um, I was asking questions about like why and what are the problems with this, you know, leaving her on care. It got to the point where the doctor said uh, something along the lines of, well, not she said, I think this probably has more to do with the fact that I we have more gray hair than you. We are closer to dying, meaning everybody in the room had sort of kind of gone along with this idea to letting her, my grandma go. So we are more comfortable with the idea of dying and not living a limited life than the younger people are because we've had to think through and process it. I was just asking questions like how, okay, so if you're going to withdraw care, how does that go? It would be dehydration. Uh, that's how set this doctor was. It's amazing and I sort of wish I could be there when she swings by and sees my grandma fully interactive. And yeah. I understand everybody's stroke recovery is different. Sure. But all we were asking was to give her a, full, a few days of fully supportive care, not comfort care, not letting her go care, but supportive care to see what would happen. Anyway, my grandma is hilarious. <laughs> she was laughing at her own joke when I talked to her yesterday. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's pretty yes. awesome. We think she lost her vision because of where the stork was. But the odd thing is that if she doesn't think about it or process, she can say things like, my mom held an orange sheet to the left of her. And she actually turned her head towards that. And my mom asked what she saw. And she said something orange. 
But if you hold it in front of her and she doesn't have just an automatic response, it doesn't quite get there. There's some sort of like her eyes are seeing, but things are not hmm. in the processing. It's not happening. So Interesting. We've been pushing hard because there are some vision things they can do that are pretty strenuous, but can expand her vision and cause her brain to rewire the communication issues. Okay. But uh, there isn't, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of motivation to make those things happen. Hmm. It maybe it's just because it's a small hospital. Yeah. I mean, this hospital is not even accredited. Um, what? They're not accredited with anything that you would recognize because they don't have to be. They're the one game in town. Yeah, Your okay. only other okay. option is to life flight out of there. And she had had the stroke so long ago, it wasn't right. going to change the outcome. Yeah. yeah. So fortunately, we have a strong family of argumentative people. <laughs> well, I had a lot of people um, kind of reach out to me and just wanted to see how things were going and wanted to make sure that they knew that you, they were thinking about you and that sort of Aww, thing. So, that's so people nice. on the show and, and you had the audacity to call last week while I was recording. So <laughs> yeah, I told everybody you said hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was tough on my body. I got sick. Of course, it just seems guaranteed to happen because of my suppressed immune system. And I lost Five pounds in four days because <laughs> there isn't a lot of accommodation in Juno for dietary needs if they are different than the norm. I lived on Starbucks. It's healthy. Mm. Mm, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Total side note. Sorry. That's okay. No, I asked. So I kind of felt bad. I was like, oh, we just do an email. We didn't even do a catch up or anything. So <laughs> so now can we do an email? What Wait, do you think? How are you? I'm fine. Was it horrible while I was gone? Miserable. Yeah. You just wasted away. I wasted away. I lost four pounds as well. <laughs> five pounds in four days. Yeah. Yeah. Or five or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just watched monster movies in the living room wondering what you would think of them if you were watching them with me. <laughs> Aww, it was yeah. it was hard taking care of all the cats uh, all at once. I feel bad. So we talk a lot about Wednesday on the show, but mm. we have three cats. Yes. We have Sam and Smoke who are not able to acclimate to Wednesday and vice versa. Well, yeah, because Wednesday is terrible to them. She's when, a, Wednesday's a little terror. She, she's <laughs> awful. <laughs> she's a murder machine. Um, we used to call her a little murder machine until we realized maybe that kind of reinforces some things that you probably don't want to encourage. Um, but when Wednesday first met Smoke and Sam, um, she went after him. She attacked him. And, and Wednesday came from a pretty rough place. Right. She was the, living in a bathroom in a home with a pit bull that wanted to eat her. Yeah, the pit bull would go after her and attack her. So now she's on the offense and trying to attack our cats. But our cats are like 14, 15 years old. Yeah, Sam has One two and a half teeth. Right. Two and a half teeth, no claws, can't do anything about it. The other one has always been just one of those terrified personalities. Skittish. He sees her and he pees. Yeah, literally. And so they live very separate lives, which is sad because our older kitties now live in a master bedroom bathroom space, which, you know, they're older. They weren't doing a lot of running around. Right. But we get to spend less time with them. Yeah, and, and I try real hard to make it a point to spend time with Smoke and Sam a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but knowing that you're out here with Wednesday or vice versa and not having two of us here 
did seem to make Wednesday more anxious. She would stand outside the bedroom door whining and crying. Um, and then just a limited time with Sam and Smoke as well. Yeah. Um, I'm a little worried about what's going to happen with Monster Bash. Mm-hmm. But you're tough. Like your grandma, you can yes. handle it. Yes. Yes. Oh. And I use terrifying mama voice with her. You do. You're always so nice. Like, come on, get out. No. <laughs> because I feel like we can have a mature conversation. She's no, what, three years clearly old. Clearly you can't. Clearly you cannot because it just happens again. So my goal is to terrify her and I want her to associate that with her misbehavior. Yeah, you're a better disciplinarian than I am when it comes to our animals. You always have been. You always have been. While you were gone, I did bring Sam and Smoke out. Yeah. Um, Sam handled it okay. Smoke peed himself as soon as I brought him out. Um, Because I I picked him up and and kind of cradled him the way that we do with Smoke. And uh, he... uh, as soon as I got, like, I was standing in front of the TV in the living room. So I got out of the hallway and it's in the living room. It's like, he's not peeing. It's, oh, that's a drop. We're going back to the bedroom. <laughs> Did he just pee the whole way? No, I think he, I caught him specifically after he used the litter box. Like, I waited. Oh, I watched. so there wasn't much to let go. In the tank. <laughs> there wasn't much in the tank. That so, poor cat. It just makes me sad because, yeah. you know, the TV's out here. Um, there We have quiet hours where we live, so we're not watching TV back there. Yeah. You know, if any listeners have any amazing suggestions for getting cats to get along, we would love to hear them. We have tried the uh, fill away stuff, the stuff you plug into the, the wall. The multiple cat. Um, Wednesday doesn't respond to catnip, so kind of doping her doesn't really work. Although Silvervine does seem to work on her. Silvervine works, but... It doesn't last very long. Doping cats their reactions can be playful aggression and yeah. so to me that doesn't seem like a wise approach um you know you went to the vet with her while i was gone and i bet you didn't ask about controlling aggression nope i didn't at all and she's fine by the way at the vet yeah. maybe a little heavy but you know oh yeah that's right that's our big bottom because she jumps <laughs> i wonder if there's little booties we can force on her that she won't be able to get off and then all she would have is teeth. I was talking about her weight, and then you started talking about booty. <laughs> no, like booties we could put on her. Then she would only have teeth. Maybe it would put her, make her feel like she's at a disadvantage. I don't know. We are uh, so off track. We are. But I'm glad we did this, because I, I love having you on the show and just kind of having us time, which people comment on in an email. Maybe not the one that's up next, but there will be a comment about it. Okay. So. Segway. Hi, Derek. Hi. (laughs) I just watched your YouTube video on your favorite vampire slash zombie slash werewolf slash monster slash haunted house slash anthology films. It got me thinking about what mine might be, and I decided to share my results with you. I cheated a little and chose a classic and modern film for each category. For vampire film, my favorite classic would be The Last Man on Earth. You gotta love Vincent Price. Mm -hmm. My favorite modern film might be 30 Days of Night. I like the absolute savagery of the vampires in that one. Speaking of going up to Alaska... For zombie films, I would have to agree with you for my favorite classic zombie film, White Zombie. I think I like Lugosi's performance here more than in Dracula. For my favorite modern zombie film, it's a tough choice between Shaun of the Dead and Train to Busan. Busan. Mm -hmm. I might have to go with Shaun of the Dead. 
Okay, my favorite werewolf films are an easier choice. It's my favorite subgenre of horror film. For the classic, I have to agree with you again and go with The Wolfman. Not only do you get a tragic figure of Talbo, Talbot? Talbot. Talbot. <laughs> Talbo. Talba. <laughs> Not only do you get a tragic figure of Talbot, you get a little Bella Lugosi and Maria Auspenskaya. Good job. (laughs) I've loved this movie since I was a little kid. My favorite modern werewolf film is definitely an American werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. An American werewolf in London. Landis pulled off the perfect mix of funny and scary, and Rick Baker's effects look just as good today as they did then. My dad let me watch this film when I was about eight years old. Today, one of my favorite possessions is an 11 by 17 poster reprint signed by John Landis and David Naughton. Naughton? Yep. And David Naughton. I found them at the same convention, and they were both very nice. Now I just need Griffin Dunn. (laughs) My favorite classic monster movie is Jason and the Argonauts. Ray Harryhausen's work in this film has had me awestruck since childhood. My favorite modern monster movie is John Carpenter's The Thing. It's another movie that my dad showed me when I was about eight. Okay, technically it's an alien film, not a monster, but the creature is pretty monstrous, so I'm counting it. The tension and paranoia are palpable, and the effects work is out of this world. Ha ha. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> My favorite classic haunted house movie is The Haunting, 1963. So much terror is built up just with suggestion. They say in films you should show, not tell. This film goes further and suggests, but doesn't show. More filmmakers should learn this lesson. For modern haunted house film, it has to be the devil's backbone. For me, it's like watching poetry on screen. Favorite classic horror anthology would have to go to Black Sabbath. Karloff and the vampire story he's in are creepy and terrifying. Favorite modern is Trick or Treat, 2009. All the stories are very entertaining, and I love how they're interwoven. Sorry the email is a little bit long. Thanks for making my days brighter with your warmth that comes through in your podcasting. Give my best Brenda, Diana in New Jersey. At least two of the movies that she said were her like modern favorites mm-hmm. are still 30 plus years old, <laughs> <laughs> which is something we've talked about quite a few times here on the show. Yeah. An American Werewolf in London and The Thing are both 80s films. So, you know, <laughs> I guess. But it's they, weird to think of the 80s as being that long ago. I know, man. We are so old. <laughs> with you millennials and your generation Z's and stuff. Uh, I don't know okay. where I'm going with that, but it's weird. It's so odd to think about, man. <laughs> um, Brenda. Yes. What's your favorite vampire movie? The oh. look on her face. The oh, deer no. in the headlights look. Boy. Lost Boys movie? I don't really remember the movie. Zombie movie. Uh, z- z- the well, I don't know, because there's a one with a hot chick fighting. Resident Evil. And they did multiple of them. Like, yeah, like all of them. All of them. They did all of them. <laughs> what is her name? Mila Jovovich. I might like it just for Mila Jovovich. Okay. Yolo. Y- <laughs> Yolo. Yolo. Mila. Yolo. And the 
older one where they're all locked in that tower where they're trying to maintain the old lifestyle. It's a night of the living dead or. Well, night of the living dead is uh, a right. cabin. Are you talking about a mall? Maybe. No, it was one in the series where they only. <gasps> oh, land of the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I liked that one. Okay. And kind of what it was trying to represent. Okay. I don't know. Why are we doing this? I can't ever remember names of films and names of actors. Werewolf film. You when you get out of bed in the morning? Fair enough. Monster movie. I can't think on the spot like this. Haunted house movie. I went... This place when we decided the freezer and the dryer were haunted. (laughs) Anthology film. Babe. (laughs) Really? This is more just for me because of the faces you're making? Yeah, that does not make good podcasting. But it makes for an amazing time for me. Well, I'm glad we could give you an amazing time. Yes. (laughs) I'm sure I'll think of things afterwards. I'm sure. Maybe not. I don't know. You want to do uh, another voicemail? Sure. Hello, Derek and Brenda. This is Alan Trump from St. Louis calling. Uh, Been a while since I talked to you. Um want to let you know, I really enjoyed the show, and particularly the Lucha de Mayo. That was great. I hope one day you guys get to Santo versus the Witches, which I think is kind of inspired by the Christopher Lee movie, uh, Horror Hotel. You know, you guys have done so many of my odd favorite films lately, uh, going back a few weeks, Cave of the Living Dead, Four Skulls of Jonathan Drake, and of course, Dwight Kemper's marvelous coverage of Frankenstein versus the Space Monster. Just like Dwight, I can't get that ding 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 music out of my head. I also wanted to compliment you on Michael Dodd's Vault of Monster Collectibles. I doubt I'll ever be able to afford these again, but you know, I had one of Hamilton's invaders, I think the spider. It made this god awful noise as it moved across the floor. I probably sold it at a garage sale for $3, but I think I still have one of the little blue soldiers. As for the strange change machine, it was my all-time favorite. I even had the extra packs, which had some great monsters in them. I almost burned our house down one time when I left it on when we went out on a family uh, 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 outing, and I came back. Luckily, it hadn't burst into flame, but the heating unit had turned my orange boa constrictor monster toy into a strip of bacon. Maybe one day Michael will get to uh, my Lost in Space Color Forms kit, which is also another favorite. Hey, bye for now, and you guys have a monstrous summer. Take care. And now the music from Frankenstein and the Space Monster is back into my head. Thank you so much, Alan Trump. Dong, 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 dong. <laughs> Cave of the Living Dead. I keep thinking about that one. That movie is so good. I want to watch it again. Well. Anyway. Your prerogative. True, true. You're going like to be I'm, on a plane for a while. That's true. I should load up with uh, some monster movies. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so Alan uh, is going to be on the show again. We've kind of talked off and on. Like we, we swap a few messages and then I let weeks go in between before I respond again. I want to have Alan back on the show. We were talking about having him come on to talk about a movie called Hand of Night, which... I don't know anything about, but he seems to like it. So we're going to talk about it, which will be fun. And someday I'll have him on to talk about the Astro Zombies as well, which is something we talked about a long time ago and just never happened. Mm. Alan's a cool dude. I like Alan a lot. And he likes Michael Dodd's vault. 
not the only voicemail or feedback we got about the, the vault, which is awesome. Fantastic. That's very, exciting. Very, very, very cool. Alan, I don't know if we've talked about this. Are you going to be at Monster Bash this year? If so, I will see you in about a week. Man, that's so close. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, Ugh. so you got your cards. Well, you'll get them when you're there. <laughs> Fingers and tentacles crossed that they actually yes. show up at the hotel. Yes. I it's out of my will. hands, man. I think they will. Have you decided on your prices? No. Okay. $5,000. I feel like we've had this conversation before. Yes, yes. (laughs) Hi, Derek. Hi. I can't tell you how stoked I was to find an entire five new episodes of Lucha de Mayo. You did it. Derek, you ruined me. (laughs) I was even thinking of this before I started reading this. Lucha de Mayo... On your site a couple of nights ago, there are way too few podcasts out there dealing with the Lucha movies, and I've lost track of how many times I've listened to your previous forays into the genre on repeat whilst at work. Wow. Due to lack of time and some technical difficulties with my phone, I've completely fallen behind on gracing my ears with podcasts for almost a year now. A friend helped me figure out the phone issues recently, though, and at that, I went online, looking to score some nice B-movie discussions to listen to. Boy, did I hit the jackpot with a veritable bag of candy for the soul that you put out during the month of May. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking about these films. They're what compelled me to seek out the masked life in the squared circle that I now lead. I can't wait until next year's installment, and I'm so glad to be back along for the MKR ride until then. Keep up the great work. Best regards, L. Stiggles. I think that's right. L. Stiggles? I, you know, honestly, I tried to look up how that name is pronounced. It's, I believe, Swedish. El so, Stiggles, say? That's not right. <laughs> Luchador and Monster Fighter out of Malmo. Sweden. And I think that's pronounced correctly. I did try to find a pronunciation of Malmo, or maybe Malma, Sweden. I am so sorry, dude, if we're getting your name wrong. It's all Brenda's fault. (laughs) P.S. I'm really sorry about this shameless plug, but seeing as you mentioned your love for mummies more than a couple of times during these phenomenal episodes, I thought it'd be okay for me to share my own little love letter to the shambling bandage piles of the dead and to Lucha movies, of course. It's a short little 60 seconds adventure film on Instagram and can be found through this link. I will make sure there's a link in the okay. show notes. It's Instagram, huh? Mm-hmm. Hope you get a chance to see it and that some of the joy I get from these kinds of movies translates over to my mini version of them. P.S. 2. I like the new addition of Brenda to the show. Her voice is awesome and you both sound very sweet together. Aww. It's all a sham. What? He didn't write that. Did, did, that's not. <laughs> no, that's you. That's, that's your commentary? Jerk. <laughs> I watched the little movie. Uh, it's a little 60-second thing, and it's it's a luchador, and there's some mummies, and there's a treasure, and it's pretty cute. I liked it a lot. <laughs> so I will make sure there's a link in the show notes. And if there's a way to embed the video on monsterkidradio.net um, through Instagram, I'm going to do that, too, because oh. it's pretty pretty cool. Is it a cartoon? or nope. Oh, wow. It's live action. 
it's pretty good. Thank you for writing in, man. That's yeah. awesome. You know, I, I know for a while there I was worried about the theme months turning people off, but man, I've gotten some good feedback on it. So thank you guys and gals. Thank you. Good. Somebody from Sweden. I don't know if we've gotten any emails from Europe. Have we? Have I? I I don't know. And the Sweden's MO- Europe, right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh boy. And the MOZ and I cannot talk in the MOZ days, yes. Yeah. But I don't know about MKR. Very cool. Another email. Hey Derek. Hey. Great movie to end up your Mexican wrestler month on. Santo versus the vampire woman or women? Uh, I think it's women. Women? Which would be why it's spelled E-N. Sorry. Oh, is it in the... <laughs> it's spelled women. You have one job. <laughs> I'm not doing it very well today. <laughs> was So, Santo versus the vampire women was the first of these type of movies I saw. And I have to say, it's still my favorite. Part of it is the Gordon Murray dubbing that cracks me up in the English version. Not just the wacky dialogue, but the delivery is priceless. For example, when our professor character in two sentences goes from wistfully sad to matter of fact when he says, my poor daughter looks so happy, she doesn't realize the night could go really bad for her. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Mexico, at least when these Murray adaptations were going on, was deeply Christian, which is why the Santa Claus movie you mentioned is so great. Santa Claus is literally taking on a demon for the soul of a little girl without the least bit of postmodern irony or cynicism. Accompanied by Dali-esque imagery, a dance number in hell, and a politically incorrect It's a Small World musical number with Santa giving an enthused Corla Pandit accompaniment on the organ. Is it any wonder a friend of mine looked up from our conversation while I had this playing in the background and asked me with all sincerity, is this a real movie? (laughs) The same religious sincerity is also the unintentional setup for one of whoever dubbed Santo's best deliveries. Once again, our friend the professor holds forth with ponderous delivery along the lines of, as you know, these are the end times prophesied of by the Bible. Santo, yes, nuclear energy. (laughs) I've never heard a more deadpan non sequitur in my life. Guess I can clear some shelf space where my commentaries on the book of Revelation are now. (laughs) Thanks for clearing up all those thorny eschatological debates that have perplexed theologians in two words, Santo. Besides mastering wrestling and time travel, did you earn a doctorate degree in New Testament studies in your spare time? (laughs) I guess that's why they call this guy the saint. I also have to wonder if anybody doing the dubbing was actually looking at the movie. The professor's daughter has that birthmark that pinpoints her as a future vampire queen. It is a perfect bat. For a birthmark, it makes a great tattoo. It is such a perfect bat. The professor tries to dismiss it by saying, lots of people have odd birthmarks. That doesn't comfort his daughter, who is frantic. This means she will indeed become the vampire queen. So frantic that instead of saying, that explains this bat on my arm, she says, that explains this vampire on my arm. 
At this point, I'd have to capitulate and say, you know, my daughter, you're having an entire vampire on your arm since birth has always kind of been the elephant in the room, hasn't it? Doesn't he get in your way when you're reaching for something? Have you ever considered having that thing removed? And by the way, did you know the night could go really bad for you? (laughs) Later, when the unmasked werewolf wrestler turns into a bat and flaps his little wings out of there, one of the cops says, yeah, he must have been a vampire because he turned into a vampire and flew away. Well, you can't fault him for inconsistency. (laughs) I discovered this movie back in the 80s when Commander USA's Groovy Movies was airing it. Samson vs. the Vampire Women inspired a comic strip I used to write for my university paper. My artist collaborator, Tom Gerganis and I co-created our own wrestling hero, El Espectro, who in his first adventure smashed a demonic piñata made by some unwitting soul from paper mache from the original manuscript of the Necronomicon. Holy crap. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh my. What piñata shape was it? I don't care. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's Okay. Genius. (laughs) Instead of treats and toys, the pinata gushed the guts and bones of orphanage children who had been disappearing. (laughs) Maybe next time you should try having the kids hang out their stockings, Ella Spectra quipped to Padre Goldstein. (laughs) (laughs) This is, oh my, okay. My and Tom's pal, Jeff Parker, who has gone on to be a successful writer at Marvel and DC Comics with X-Men, First Class, and Batman 66, was a big fan of Samson vs. the Vampire Women 2 and was eager to contribute to the Ella Spectro adventures. He wrote and drew a hilarious parody of Samson vs. the Vampire Women with our El Spectro character. And he and I and Tom and another pal and college art student named Chris Kempel all collaborated at different points on further original El Espectro tales, where he fought such villains as the petrified Aztec man, the dinosaurs of crime, and his ex-girlfriend gone bad due to a man's mad scientist experiment, Lady Wrestler La Voluptua. Your final Mexican Wrestler Month episode turned out to be very nostalgic experience on my end. A very nostalgic experience on my end. And a reminder of fun times with old friends some 20 years plus back. Looking forward to meeting you in person in a few weeks at Monster Bash. Same month a year ago since we met on the phone to talk about the woman eater. Best, Micah. Micah Harris, man. Man, I want to know what shape. How did you end up with a Necronomicon and decide to dip it in flour and water? And <laughs> you have no idea what I would do to see that comic strip, to read that comic strip. Dude, that is oh, amazing. I wonder what that experience was while creating the... That's the story I want to know. <laughs> like, what led to that? Right. Like, like s- hey, you know what would be a really good idea? What if we had a Necronomicon and made a piñata out well, of it? Well, I assume they didn't know it was the Necronomicon, right? Well, like, somebody, in an attempt to get rid of it out of their lives, donated it to Goodwill. <laughs> it just wouldn't sell for some reason, so it was in the free bin, and somebody wow. was like, hmm, 
I need paper for my... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. man. (laughs) The the organs of the children who just happen to be going missing from the... Oh, my... The orphanage children. Maybe next time we'll have kids hang their stockings out. Yeah. That's amazing. I would... (laughs) I really hope those exist somewhere, Micah, because I... Man, that's amazing. Yes. (laughs) Do you just... Imagine the weird stuff that would be happening as you're putting together that pinata from the Necronomicon. <laughs> like how Heaven did, forbid yeah. this person try to read some of the pages. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, wouldn't just ripping a page of the Necronomicon just be all sorts of bad juju anyway? Like, <laughs> like, like as you pull the page from the book, lightning strikes and power I goes out. I imagine like and, you pull the page out and instead of sounding like a tearing page, it sounds like the screams of innocent <laughs> orphans who just happened to be disappearing <laughs> from the orphanage. Instead of the sound of paper, yes, paper, yes. Uh, paper ripping. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's the, it's the only book that when you pull a page from it, it, it bleeds. You oh. Know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Oh. That's cool. Micah, dude, I cannot wait to see you at Monster Bash and meet you in person. Please swing by. And like I said, I'm going to have that table. It'd be really hard to miss. It'd be awesome to see you. <laughs> <laughs> is it, do we have any more email? Or is that it? We have one, two more emails. Okay. And two more voicemails. Yes. So the two voicemails uh, are going to do back to back because they're both from the same dude. Okay. You, you want to do them since we were just talking about them? Oh, sure. Hey there. Steve Sullivan here, just catching up on some uh, recent shows, starting with Santo and the Blue Demon versus The Monsters. I like that film, and I, I probably need to rewatch it, but I remember that as being one of the coolest Santo films that I've seen, and I really enjoyed it. During that show, someone mentioned The Land Unknown needing a sequel, and I think that would be just totally awesome if The Land Unknown got a sequel. I will write that sequel if you want to, or a sequel slash relaunch for that, because I think it would be just super. Someone also mentioned 20 Million Miles to Earth could have a sequel. And though here's the weird thing. Someone actually suggested, kind of around that same time, unrelated to your show, that you could actually consider a couple of existing movies potentially as part of that series. And the first was First Spaceship in Venus, which I think they were thinking would be kind of the prequel, and then 20 Million Miles to Earth, and then It's the Terror from Beyond Space, if reimagined with the Immer, I think would, would have been the third one. Anyway, 20 Million Miles, I'd love to do a, a prequel to that, certainly. It probably would be more like Planet of Burr if, if I did it. Hey, you ran the Guanji ad probably in that same show did you notice that it had rodan's scream in it <laughs> not not Quanji's roar but rodan's scream i thought that was really interesting uh santa versus the blob i've never seen it and i i guess i gotta see it because you know santa the blob why would one not want to see that you saw seventh voyage in the of sinbad in the big screen and I love that film. It is one of my favorites, and seeing it on the big screen is just the best way to go. I'll probably be watching it again for Harry Housen's birthday on the 29th. And before this cuts me off, I want to say I am working on the Monster Game Project. If you go to www.monsterrpg.com, you'll go to my site right now, but in the future, there will be a, a game link there. So enjoy. I will talk to you about more soon. Steve Sullivan. Signing off. You know, I said we were going to do these back to back, but let's break it up. Let's let's okay. uh, do Steve's first voicemail. 
uh, monsterrpg.com as well as monstersrpg.com he picked up as well. This is in reference to uh, a conversation that came up a while back about doing a, a classic monster role-playing game mm. kind of thing, which is something that he, you know, being a game designer and an author and a monster kid, wanted to tackle. So he actually told me that he's going to be doing uh, a game of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's going to be more, not really like a beta test, but maybe a little bit further along than that, but not quite finished. It's happening at the Burlington UCC Game Day in Burlington, Wisconsin hmm. on Saturday, June 16th. So if you are in the area and want to play a classic monster role-playing game with a master role-playing game designer and, and runner and DM and all that, there you go. Check it out. And right. I'll make sure... Well, I mean, there's already links to Steve's website all over the website of monsterkidradio.net because he's the man. Okay. I saw you furiously taking notes. Prequel to Land Unknown. Prequel or sequel? Well, I thought I said sequel the first time and prequel the next time. So I'd I actually see both. crossed out sequel and <laughs> prequel. I'd like to see both. Mm. Land Unknown is a pretty good film. Actually, I think you might like The Land Unknown. Huh. Uh, the argument that there is already like movies in the same timeline as 20 million miles that's right under the sea to the earth to the earth 20 million miles something i've not come across that online but i could see it being like a spiritual sequel or two Mm. to that that kind of makes sense and would be a really neat double or triple feature for sure and Rodan's Scream. Did not notice that. As much as I love Rodan, you think I would have noticed it, but <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Guanji, though, Valley of Guanji, the soundtrack album was just released by Entrada, and it's awesome. Just there, there's now a full score of it. Before, there was a compilation CD that had come out of just a handful of different film scores from that guy, the guy who did it, whose name I'm forgetting. It's Jerome something or other. Uh, just a handful of his different movies. So he had a little bit of Guanji in there, but now there's a dedicated full album to the score of the Valley of Guanji, and I can give you a sneak peek right now. Holiday gift guide. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. Hey, Derek. Steve Sullivan catching up again with more shows of Monster Kid Radio. Samson versus the Vampire Women. I have this on DVD, but it won't play. But I think we actually saw it last year at Monster Bash. It was the late night movie, as I recall. And was this one that's actually El Vampiro y El Sexo, or whatever it's called? It's like the Santa Sexy movie? If so, I guess i got to dig that out and watch it. So I should probably do that anyway. Vince uh, Bertolo sent it to me before he passed. So anyway, uh, it was a fun movie, and I look forward to seeing it again. The Strange Change Machine, every one of these toys you mentioned I've had when I was a little kid, I think, so far. The Strange Change was another one. The fact that you could crush these plastic creatures down into something that was about a quarter inch high and maybe an inch to an inch and a half square, and then reheat them and they would regain their original shape, that was pretty amazing. I don't know how long that would have gone on because I think I grew up before it wore off, but it was a very cool thing. I don't think I had the extras, but I, I had the the basic machine for sure, so that was fun. It's always good to hear about toys that I loved and used to have when I was a child. Uh, I love speaking of love. I love your YouTube videos. I think they're just awesome, and you should do more of them. And I enjoyed your favorite monsters, and maybe someday I'll do that list as myself. Uh, On to the Mysterians, which I need to rewatch. I like the uh, the kind of kaiju Mogera monster slash machine in it. That's 
fun, and I probably need to rewatch that and maybe Battle in Space right after, so I can see that the uh, the kind of sequelitis between the two of them. I always thought that was pretty close. Uh, I forgot to mention this last time, but I may actually be playtesting the classic monster RPG this weekend, which would be June 16th here in Burlington, Wisconsin. If somehow this gets on the radio before then, people can uh, check out Burlington Game Day on Facebook and find me and maybe come play test. And uh, again, you can reach me at sdsullivan.com and soon at uh, monsterrpg.com and also at cushinghorrors.com if you want to read cool stuff. Go ahead. Ciao. I didn't listen to that voicemail before sending it to you to, to listen ah, to. So, so I didn't realize didn't he was going to mention the game day thing. But <laughs> there you go. And he, he, he sent me a message about it. So Yes. Uh, and yeah, and speaking of spiritual sequels, Battle in Space, uh, following up the Mysterians, I'm going to have Byron Craft back on the show down the line to talk about uh, Battle in Space. That's already in the works. Going to try to record with him later this summer as well. So hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. And uh, I need to see Battle in Space, especially since I really liked the Mysterians. I mean, it was all really, really good. Mm. What else did he say? Anything else? <laughs> Santo sexy movie is what I wrote down. Ah, okay. So yes, Steve. In fact, that is Samson versus a vampire woman. And it's... I don't think you know the deal here. Were you? You weren't part of this conversation, Brent. So... Santo was like for all ages, right? He, he was, wanted to make sure kids can see his movies and that sort of mm. thing. The thing is, is that after making Santo and the Vampire Women, they went back in to shoot some scenes with some naked ladies. Oh. With some topless women in Dracula. Okay. And I'm sorry, it's not the Vampire Women, it's the Dracula, and Treasure of Dracula, I apologize, mixed him up. Anyway, um, Santo was not happy, this did not get shown. Until several, several, several years later when Del Toro found it and played it in a film festival. And Santo's kids were not ha- – or child was not happy with that idea. Oh. But it has made its way out into the public now. Santo himself has no dealings with any of the topless women. But there you go. The weird thing about it is that that version of the film is in color. But the regular version of Santo and the Treasure of Dracula is not. That's in black huh. and white. It's really odd. Huh. At least every version I've seen of it. Now, of course, I don't bother watching the color version because I don't need to see a bunch of topless women and stuff. I mean, I I get it. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Derek and Brenda. Hi. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> As a guy in his mid-20s, I thought I might throw my hat into the ring regarding the question of what makes a monster kid. And I'd specifically like to address the idea that younger people have a harder time finding classic monster movies. While my father showed me some classic monster movies as a kid, it wasn't until college that I began to seek them out. Using services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, YouTube, and others, I discovered and devoured subgenres like kaiju movies, luchador flicks, and 50s science fiction. Without my father introducing me to some of the genres, would I still have sought them out? I don't know, but I do know that the internet allowed me to deep dive into my interest in B-movies in a way that I couldn't have done with just a local video store. Does that make me less of a monster kid? I don't think so. Like any other hobby or passion, there's no better way to turn someone off like being proprietary over it. 
Labels are descriptive, not prescriptive. And as such, it's not our job to decide who falls under the label and who doesn't. If someone loves classic monster movies, then they're a monster kid. The definition of classic is constantly changing with the flow of time, and there's nothing wrong with that. Labels aren't etched in stone or tattooed on our skin. They're shorthand for talking about the things we're passionate about, and we shouldn't let our passion lead us to excluding anyone who shares it. I'm old enough to be nostalgic for blockbuster video, but I'm also young enough to appreciate the way that the world has changed. We have Blu-ray releases of Kaltiki and Gamera that can be at our door in two business days, for goodness sake. (laughs) How much more lucky could we be? Almost any film we want to see is available at our fingertips, whether by mail or through instant streaming, TV movies from the 70s, with no physical release, can be found in seconds on YouTube. Amazon Prime has Dario Argento films, and with subs and dubs. A whole new generation is walking through a virtual video store and chasing their whimsy. Maybe today someone is streaming God- a Godzilla movie for the first time because their favorite YouTuber recommended it, or watching random episodes of Twilight Zone because the episode thumbnails really grab them. Who cares how people find these movies? It only matters that they do, and they will, because good movies stand the test of time. Hope this didn't step on any toes or come across as too preachy. And thank you slash sorry to Brenda for the wordiness of this email. Thanks for keeping the faith, Derek. Can't wait to see what you have coming up. Self-identified monster kid, Jonathan Inbody. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I like how he put some of that. And it really wasn't that wordy. Yeah, I mean, I think the search for particular movies today is different than it was in the video store days and certainly before the video store days for sure uh, i mean there there are places you have to go to now well this episode in particular had john lemay on talking about quote-unquote lost takasu wow <laughs> lost takasatsu films or, or japanese special effects movies and he mentioned a couple tidal wave for example i would love to see but how am i getting my hands on that i have no idea but it's out there somewhere i played a trailer for it on the show earlier if you don't want to see a 1970s Japanese disaster movie with Lauren Green cut into it? I don't want to know you. I'm just saying. But <laughs> you are know? you saying that because it has to be sought out and maybe not successfully, that person is less of a monster kid no. than somebody who might have come across it on TV in their youth? No, no, no. I'm okay. just saying that the uh, the evolution of the chase for these movies has changed, mm, but it yeah. doesn't make the chase any less valid. Right. Um, it's just different. So I totally get that, and I totally, yeah, yes. I'm, I'm on board there. Um, I did respectfully disagree with Dominique when she wrote in and said, you know, she's not a monster kid. She didn't grow up in that era, that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think she's a monster kid. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. what I would call her if, if I had to pick her out of, out of a lineup. Right. And maybe over the years that will change. Yeah, yeah. What that means might change a right, little right, bit. Right, right. Yeah. Yes. I like the idea of labels being descriptive, not prescriptive. That's a really cool phrase. By the but way. I feel like often in the world of niche interests, there are people who find them to be prescriptive instead of descriptive. Like you're less of a fan because of oh, this. Oh, boy. You are, aren't this because there's a desired exclusivity that makes somebody feel better when they're in and somebody else is out. Yeah. And you know, it's, I know this is not what we're talking about, but we're in that era now where 
quote unquote true fans chase the actress of the last Star Wars movie off social media because they're so horrible to her. You know, that that, yeah. that that if you if you liked The Last Jedi, you're not a true Star Wars fan. Or if you didn't like this movie, you're not a true Star Trek fan or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And I just I find that just so I don't know. So what if somebody said to you if you liked the three Star Wars movies that came out you know, the last, what was it, 10, 15 years, you're not a true Star Wars fan. Because I remember that used to be something you felt very strongly about. Right. Well, and I've been on a journey, too. Yes. I mean, we've talked. If you like Jar Jar Binks, you're not a Star Wars okay, fan. Okay, well, that's that's a problem, though. <laughs> no, seriously, though, I mean, who am I to define your fandom? You know, really, I mean, th- this, I don't know if it's the same, but it's kind of the issue that I have with remakes, how it kind of dilutes the shared pop culture mm. a little bit, but... I feel like the opposite, I don't know what I'm getting at actually, but there's like the opposite side of that where if you only can like certain things to be a, a true fan and, and it's, it's frustrating and, and I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand going online and being so savagely cruel to a professional who was hired to do a job in something that you love. You know, just being so mean. I don't get it. I didn't see what was said. Okay. I just know that she, got off of social media because of the stuff that was yeah, being done. Yeah. And but that's more, I feel like, about anonymity, yeah. trolling. But but The Last Jedi was very divisive uh, in terms of the Star Wars fan base. And there's been a lot of arguments and or complaints made about it. And, you know, I see that too. Like I see people in, to bring it back to MKR stuff. Well, if you like Universal movies, you can't like Hammer films. Oh, or you know the Hammer films are bad, but or, or great, or the, so much better. The Universal movies are so stupid. I've seen that back and forth, back and forth in some places too. And well, it might be fun to have a fun little debate. In fact, I think I even have a question in the Classic Five: What do you prefer, Universal or Hammer? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's fair to say what's best. And if you like this, you can't like that, and vice mm-hmm. versa. One of the things that I love doing here on MKR is just kind of celebrating it all. You know. Okay. You know, so yeah. The only label I want is Monster Kid. <laughs> okay. I'm all over the place on this. That's okay. <laughs> Jonathan Inbody is the man who brought Santo versus the Blob to my attention, by the way. So that man is practically a saint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, this email is going to be a little difficult. Why? Hi, Brenda and Derek. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I loved Lucha de Mayo. You did it again. <laughs> You've ruined me forever. Lucha de Mayo. I loved Lucha de Mayo and look forward to next year's lineup. Brenda, I apologize for all of the Spanish in this email, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> in episode 371, you mentioned that you wonder what the rights issues are for these films and if any original elements exist. Through some internet sleuthing, I uncovered that Viviana Garcia Besne, granddaughter of George Garcia Besne, and grandniece of Guillermo Calderon, producers on some of the El Santo and Blue Demon pictures, is the head of the Permanencia Voluntaria Archivo Cinematográfico. 
Cinematográfico in Mexico and has original materials for all of the movies her family produced. To cap it off, they've been doing festival screenings of a restored version of Santo Contra Cerebro del Mal. No. The very first Santo movie. She's working with the Alamo Draft House, Nicholas Winding Refn. R-E-F-N? I, I've seen that name written so many times, but I don't know how it's pronounced. The Academy Film Archive and others to get both of the original Santo movies restored. I don't know if there are plans for a Blu-ray release at some point, but we can hope so. Viviana Garcia Besne also made a documentary called Perdida. Perdida? Perdida? in 2009 that I have to track down, focusing on her learning about her family's history and Mexican genre cinema. As for the rights to the movies, I've heard from previous guest Keith J. Rainville elsewhere that Santos' family has rights pertaining to him, so it may be a mix between the producers of the films as well as the families of the wrestlers. Another thing I wanted to let you know about is a great YouTube series called Mexican Vampire Cinema, A Brief History by DWilt55. It's a seven-video series covering everything about vampires in Mexican cinema, and it's a real treat to watch. It's jam-packed with information, clips, and posters on a cornucopia of movies that will have you scouring the IMDb and Amazon. As I was looking up the video to get the correct title, I discovered that DeWilt55 also made a four-video series called Mummies a la Mexicana. <laughs> so I have some watching to do myself. If I may recommend a movie for the next Lucha de Mayo, I throw into the ring Las Mujeras Panteras. It's got luchadoras, a luchador, a panther cult, a panther woman, and some great set pieces. Highly recommended. Also, the DVD is $6.99 on VCA Entertain VCI Entertainment's website, where you can find even more great Mexican horror movies, no subtitles required. Thank you both for the hard work and fun you bring to every episode. Chad Raderick. I'll make sure there's links to those YouTube series online. I think I've watched one of those years ago. Mm. I wouldn't mind revisiting it, though. Yeah, it sounds like you should. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's just something about... Mexican uh, monster movies and mummies. That connection is just amazing to me. And yeah, I would love to revisit those at some point. Uh, again, maybe something to watch on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> what was the name of the movie he recommended with the Panthers? For next year, um, Las Mujeres Panteras. The J silent, right? Like Mujeres Panteras. I think so. Yes. So. Luchadoras, Luchador, Panther Colt, Panther Woman. I will try to remember that for next year. Mm -hmm. I also want to try to remember the recommendation that Alan made earlier about Santo and the Witches, because that mm. sounds awesome too. Uh, and I do want to do one of the Wrestling Women movies next year as well, maybe uh, Doctor of Doom, which is mm. really good. It's a couple of uh, luchadoras doing things. Doing um, stuff. The thing about the luchadora films that I found, at least a few that I've watched, with Santo, Blue Demon, Mil Mascaras, it's Santo in the ring and out of the ring. It's Blue Demon doing stuff in a suit at a nightclub, and then he gets in the ring, and it's also Blue Demon. It's the same dude. Okay. But with some of the Luchadora movies, it's not. It's, it's usually an actress and then a double in the ring doing something else. Oh. Granted, I haven't watched many movies where it's just Luchadoras, um, but if I remember right, I think Doctor of Doom and the other one that was with the same people, it's two different. It's like two actresses and then two wrestling women. 
I think. Okay. I have to go back and rewatch. Oh, darn. darn. <laughs> well, Viviana. Oh, right. Yeah. Who's got the rights in the Alamo Draft House. And has like a repository, a permanent, I assume permanent voluntary archive of cinema stuff. <laughs> um, so we have a listener, Justin Giallo, who works at the Alamo Draft House. Uh-huh. So I'm going to reach out to him and see if he knows anything about this. It's awesome. Um, yeah, that would be amazing if that happens. And if it came out on blue, boy, I would snatch that right, right? up. Right? Yeah, I mean, and knowing that some of these elements may still exist, at least the Santo films, yeah. that's pretty amazing. What about the whole documentary called Perdida? I would love to see that too. I, I don't know. I assume it's subtitled if he watched it and enjoyed it. I don't know. Maybe he speaks Spanish. Or he speaks Spanish a heck of a lot better than you do. Oh, ouch. <laughs> Not difficult to do. <laughs> that sounds cool. Leave that email up on the screen. I want to you know, look that stuff up. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that's it, right? That's mm-hmm. the end of the, So this was an epic feedback discussion, catching up for what was missed last week or so. Right. Uh, and there's not going to be any feedback next week because next week is nothing but the Rally Awards, the uh, nominations for this year's picks for the best in genre films for 1934, 44, and 54. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, so no feedback next week. And then the week after that is probably Monster Bash coverage. So mm-hmm. maybe no feedback then too, but we'll see how we're doing. Well, it's, it'll be difficult because you're going to get back at some point and not have a lot of time. <laughs> I like how you're going to get back at some point. <laughs> some, if you're lucky, I will. Someday. If you're you'll lucky. Be home. Mm, <laughs> right. So you'll be back and uh, not a lot of time to put a show together. Yeah, so go, go dive right back into the day job. Like so no maybe break. two weeks before we do feedback? Do a section like this? Potentially, yes. Yes. Now, that being said, doesn't mean you can't send anything in. Uh, please feel free to write in or call in and we'll just start building them up and, and, and just do, do a massive feedback again. section like we did this time. Yes. <sighs> How do you feel? <sighs> caught up anxious to read the vault of monster collectibles for you anxious to vacuum before it gets too late (laughs) we have some chores to do around here you still have one more segment to record which is actually earlier in this episode uh (laughs) and then you've got all this to edit sure sure lots of editing to do (laughs) if by editing you mean playing a video game while i edit yeah (laughs) to recover from this terribly hard work thank you so much for doing this on of course. Thanks for having me. I love you. Oh, I love you too. And then we'll end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know who rocks? You do. Thank you for listening to Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for making it to the end of this episode. I've had a blast. I got to talk with an author about his process. I got to talk to somebody about Japanese monster movies, giant monster movies, and just genre films in general. I got to hear about a monster collectible, the Vern Langdon masks. That's cool. And I got to hang out with my wife for the feedback. And I got to hang out with you guys and gals. What a, I mean, this was a fun show. And I really needed something like this before I take off for Monster Bash. So thank you. Thank you for coming to the show and reviewing the show if you're an iTunes user. If you are using iTunes to listen to Monster Kid Radio, please consider leaving us an honest review. 
If you're a Facebook user, please consider dropping us a like and joining the Facebook group. Of course, there are links to our Facebook presence as well as everything else we've got going on here at Monster Kid Radio over at monsterkidradio.net. You can also find our contact information over there. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Over on the right of the page, there is a place for you to put in your email address to subscribe to the Monster Kid Radio Gazette, which is what I used to call the monthly e-newsletter. Well, I finally put something out on it. Basically, it was just a link to the Monster Kid Radio YouTube page. But I do want to start using that later this year, but I, I want to know what you guys and gals want me to put in the mailing list. I have some ideas, and I'll probably start enacting those ideas, turning them into something a little bit more concrete later this year. But what do you guys and gals want to get out of an email list? on Monster Kid Radio. That's what I want to know. Also, I plan on revamping the Patreon campaign. That'll be happening later this year as well, so stay tuned for that. Of course, there's links to all of this as well as a way for you to pick up John LeMay's book in the show notes. I'll make sure there's a link to the Amazon page where you can actually buy a copy of the book, and by doing so, by using this link, we make like five, six, seven cents. I've never really broke down exactly what we get, but as an affiliate, we get something. And eventually, we might even be able to afford a monstrous cup of coffee. That, that would be awesome. So please consider supporting Monster Kid Radio that way. I mean, if you're going to be shopping at Monster Kid Radio anyway... Next week on Monster Kid Radio, while I'm in the air and heading towards Monster Bash, I've got something special for you. There's a tradition that we have here on Monster Kid Radio, something that we do every year. I have yet to really nail down exactly when it happens every year, but we'll make that happen eventually. We have the fourth annual Monster Kid Radio Monster Rally Retro Awards. Is it the fourth annual? I'm I'm not... Yeah, I, I, I think it is, because we are covering, in those retro awards, the best in genre cinema from 1934, 44, and 54. That ballot goes live next week. I've got everything kind of scheduled to happen while I'm in the air, so don't have to worry about it. I'm going to set it, forget it, and it'll hit your feeds next week, and you're going to hear me and the man who is traditionally part of the rallies every time on Monster Kid Radio, and that is... My man, Stephen D. Sullivan. Steve Sullivan, an incredible author and one of the guys who helped me make the rallies what they are, is going to be joining me to announce the ballot and make a few other announcements along the way as well. So that's happening next week. Come back for that. The week after that, probably some Monster Bash coverage. The week after that, well, who knows? But if you follow along at monsterkidradio.net, I'll try to post something that lets you know what you can expect on this podcast. Again, thank you for listening. I'd like to sign off by saying Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song A Cosmic Nemesis. That belongs to the band King Ghidorah, and it's off their new album, The Secret Origin of an Unknown Planetary Destroyer, which you can find at King Ghidorah one.bandcamp.com or you can just go straight to kinggadora.com and they spell Ghidorah without an H at the end so it's K-I-N-G-G-H-I-D-O-R-A dot com or one.bandcamp.com follow the link in the show notes that's how you're going to find it check out the album I really dig it I love this band this is one of my favorite bands that I've been listening to ever since I discovered them pre-Monster Kid Radio 
Stuff's really good. And if you're in Oregon on July 6th, they're going to be playing at the world famous Kenton club in Portland, Oregon. And on July 19th, they're going to be playing at the shift festival 2018 brought to you by tectonic in grass Valley, Oregon. Thanks again to the band for letting me play their music here on the show. I hope you guys and gals dig it. I can't wait to have you back here next week. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao. (laughs) 